Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. From the moment Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel nearly two years ago, Washington has existed in a kind of political limbo. The White House has been working overtime to discredit the investigation while Democrats are dreaming of a Watergate-like gotcha moment. The wide range of expectations reminded us of those hurricane model maps with projections forecasting landfall anywhere from Florida to New York and anything from catastrophic to the benign. So we decided to track Mueller report projections. Many Democrats are hoping it's a Category 5 whopper, a direct hit on Washington, D.C., taking down President Trump and spawning more storms and tornadoes that impact other Trump confidants. That is one possibility. Another is that Hurricane Mueller sideswipes the White House and instead makes landfall on Fifth Avenue in New York, damaging only Mr. Trump's foundation and business empire. And then there's the model Republicans are likely are hoping for, the dud of a storm that turns and goes out to sea, leaving Mr. Trump saying, I told you so, and Democrats wet and embarrassed. Whatever happens, we know the Mueller report will not be turned over to Attorney General William Barr this week, as many had expected. When the report is made available in some form to the public, the question is, how many of our unanswered questions will finally be answered? You know, Nick Confessori Churchill is quoted all the time, and one particular quote gets a lot of use, but it seems to apply here as well as any political situation I've ever seen, and that is, this is not the beginning of the end, but it may be the end of the beginning, which is to say, Robert Mueller has done a lot of legwork for a lot of prosecutors, especially the Southern District of New York. And for those who believed that the Mueller report would be dropped, there would be a big explosion, and then impeachment or everyone would go to jail, actually you're going to see something that actually plays out far differently. He's just giving the facts, he's going to drop the report, and then it'll be up to other prosecutors, like the Southern District of New York, uh, to, to finish his, his job and decide who gets prosecuted. Well, Joe, it's natural but also a mistake to view the Mueller report as the exclamation point on this whole probe, I think. Uh, we, we have already learned a lot uh, from the indictments uh, and subpoenas and action by other prosecutors in connection with this probe. Uh, but he's not a reporter, Bob Mueller. He's not writing a book report. He's not obligated, and in some cases he's probably prohibited, from revealing or divulging all the things his investigation has turned up. And he may construe his task here pretty narrowly, to simply report back to the Attorney General on some narrow questions about the President um, and Russia involvement and obstruction down the line. Uh, so I think you're right that this is the beginning of a long, long skirmish becoming a battle in American politics. If you think the last two years has been crazy, I think the next year and a half is going to be absolutely insane uh, because the President is going to be at stake and the presidency is, and I think the difference is, when Mueller started, Washington was firmly in control of the president's party, and he was essentially the only potential pole of accountability for this president. But now the House is controlled by Democrats, they have their own investigation, and if they believe the Mueller probe has wrapped up, it's go time in every way for House... Hurricane Mueller, huh? Wow. Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 27th of February, year of our Lord, 2019. Went a day early, had enough stuff. Got a good podcast today. 
Right off the bat, we're going to cover abortion because uh, the Senate decided once again, the Democrats, that uh, live birth abortions are really cool. We got a violent left section, the Oscars 2020, and a news and social media nuggets where your humble host, well, I did some researching. I watched a whole bunch of propaganda pieces on the transgender and homosexual communities. And I mean, uh, Propaganda. Well, I'll explain it when I get there. That was tough. I watched uh, two seasons of Gaycation, and I gotta admit, Ellen Page is a bigot. Um, her buddy's a good guy. I'd have a drink with that dude. I mean, he seems like a good man. I'm sure he's got the same mental vision of everybody who's a Christian's evil that Ellen Page does. But um, he was a nice guy. He wasn't rude. She's just a bitch. Yeah, I said that. A bitch. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia, you see her face under bitch. But anyway, I'm uh, going to start with an interesting statement that I found. It was like lowered down and it wasn't covered in much of the media. Hezbollah tunnels offer sneak peek at looming major conflict in Israel. Our media is so anti-Semite right now. And by that, they don't want Israel because that's what liberals are. They just hate Israel. They, they, they always go with the wrong side of history. That's not even being reported. And that's pretty fucking scary. It really is. So I wanted to lead off the show with that. There are tunnels. So every time we hear, oh, Israel overstepped their boundaries, those people are being attacked constantly. Our media just doesn't cover it. So... Into the abortion, we'll do the fire for effect, which will pick up the Oscars and everything else in a second. New poll finds Americans shift dramatically towards pro-life label. I want to start with that. Understand what the left is doing has changed it to 47-47. That's a 17-point difference. And then when you break it down, it's even changed Democrats. February poll of Democrats under the age of 45 found that 34% identify as pro-life now and 61 pro-choice. It was 75% three months ago. So basically all they're doing with this is even making their base pro-life. Because live birth abortion is crazy. Here's Blake L., a woman. Probably because Democrats have gone so far left. I've never really been too sure where I stood. I can be sympathetic in cases with rape, and if a mother's life is in danger, I definitely lean pro-life, but there's no way I can support killing a baby moments before it's born. Sarah V. Medical technologies improved so much that the typical pro-choice arguments, even the pro-lifers already denied, are proven wrong. Britt Hume takes apart NARAL. Senate votes down anti-choice legislation. Breaking, the Senate has voted down Senator Sass' extremist anti-science bill. Brit Hume, what dishonest propaganda this is. This is not an abortion bill. It's a born-alive infant protection bill. That is where the culture of abortion has taken NARAL to op- opposition to saving a newborn baby's life. Oh, Tony, Brit Hume's a conservative. No, no, here's the bill. Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. The bill amends the federal criminal code to require any health care pr- pr- practitioner 
who is present when a child is born alive following an abortion or attempted abortion to, one, exercise the same degree of care as reasonably provided to any other child born alive at the same gestation age. Two, ensure that such child is immediately admitted to a hospital. The term born alive means a complete expulsion or extraction for his or her mother at any stage of development who after such expulsion or extraction breathes or has a beating heart, pulsations of the umbilical cord, or definite movement of voluntary muscles regardless of whether the umbilical cord has been cut. Also, a healthcare practitioner or other employee who has a knowledge of a failure to comply with these requirements must immediately report such a failure to an appropriate law enforcement agency. An individual who violates the provision of this bill is subject to a criminal fine up to five years in prison or both. An individual commits an overt act that kills a child born alive is subject to criminal prosecution for murder. The bill bars a criminal prosecution of mother of a child born alive for conspiracy to violate these provisions, for being an accessory after a fact, or for concealment of felony. Bars. A woman who undergoes an abortion or attempted abortion may file a civil action for damages against the individual who violates this bill. Where in it did you hear this? Camilla Harris, one of all the Democratic candidates, voted against it. I voted no on this bill. Every woman has a fundamental right to access comprehensive reproductive health care, and I remain committed to fighting for that. Where did you hear the mother? The bill says we'll protect the mother. The mother can't be charged with anything. If these ghouls cut the baby's throat so they don't hear the scream, then the spine, or they cut the spine, they're in the ones who are going to go to jail, not the mother. The mother is protected, and it gives legal provisions so the mother can sue those motherfuckers for infanticide. Other argument was made that, oh, it's because the hospital. Well... Once again, if a botched abortion hurts the mother or the child, shouldn't they go to the hospital? Because an abortion clinic isn't a medical clinic. They do screenings. They do AIDS tests. They hand out contraception. And they kill babies. That's what they do. It's a garbage disposal for humans. That the left really loves so much. You know, it's almost criminal that not a single media outlet nor paper printed that. It's online. I just did search Ben Sash Sass abortion bill. Took me to the gov, took me there. I copied and pasted word for word and just read it to you. It has nothing to do with the mother. It has nothing to do with abortion clinics. It has to do with the fact that if a botched abortion produces a live baby, you must save the baby. Didn't say the mother had to take the baby. Didn't say that Planned Parenthood has to take the baby. The baby has to be saved, put it up for adoption. You didn't want it to begin with. But they're so extreme, 
they can't see that. They argue everything. And I never said it on the show. They're afraid that they give it up. Oh, we're going to review, we're going to revoke Roe. Roe's going to get taken away and we won't be able to kill millions of babies. And God damn it, we like killing millions of babies. No. It doesn't revoke abortion. It's about the live birth. This is the third time on record Democrats have said no. All but three. And because you need 60 votes, it loses 54 votes. And I've said it to every one of the candidates who have done lying, lying tweets. No American president will ever get elected who's for live birth abortion. It won't happen in this country. And all you're doing is pushing people away. Democrats. I read a screed from Educated Hillbilly, who was a lot like me, pro-choice, until they started getting extreme, and then he just, uh, by the end, it's like, I'm not like him, but he literally said, fucking hang every abortionist. You're making me think those thoughts because you're ghouls. So I'm going to play NDSS, and I, I got this, the National Down Syndrome Society, because J- Jason Kneen put out a picture. My child is Down syndrome. What should I expect? This. 100% a smiling little girl. And he had this. And it was going viral. And it's once again against what the left is pushing. Against their always yearning to be Europe concept. That should we, we should ge- genetically produce our children. Blue eyes. Fuck it. Kill it. Girl, I want a boy, kill it. Got Downs, kill it. Because these are people with Down syndrome, and they seem to be doing okay. Down syndrome? Well, there'll be a lot of limitations. Are you sure about that? They tend to do well performing only the simplest of tasks. I am a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. A regular life? With lasting relationships? We've been together 14 years. Their cognitive ceiling limits their ability to work. I own a business. Low muscle tone prevents any possibility of achievement in sports. <laughs> I wouldn't expect much. I was on an Amy winning show. It's a stretch for them to live past their 50th birthday. <laughs> to be blunt with you, it's a lifetime of limitations. Your limitations. Not mine. Not mine. Not mine. Not mine. This very week, while this is going down, Emory University hosts abortion as a moral good. My hope for the lecture is that it will generate a respectful and productive conversation about abortion and reproductive justice. It's a moral good. And then you have Willie Parker, who on tape admits to killing human beings, and it doesn't fucking matter. So when you crush a human skull, it's not really gray matter, it's white brain matter that oozes out? What's your point? No, I'm asking you a question. Is, is the brain matter that oozes out when you crush a human skull white? What does it matter? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It is wrong to kill an innocent human being. I agree. Uh, Abortion kills a human being. I agree. 
When I do an abortion, I am clear what she has asked me to do for her. Mm-hmm. I am clear that she's asked me to remove a fetus from her. I am clear that in your terms, it is intentional killing of a fetus. So when you crush a human skull, it's not really gray matter, it's white brain matter that oozes out? What's your point? No, I'm asking you a question. Is, is the brain matter that oozes out when you crush a human skull white? What does it matter? Does You've it? described what I do. So what is your point? My point is that it intentionally kills an innocent human being. Would you concede the point? It intent- I started my, my, made, my first concession was to your first two syllogisms, okay. that abortion uh, kills a human being. It is the intentional disruption of a pregnancy. It kills a human being. How many innocent human beings have you intentionally killed in your life's work? I don't know. I don't You've measure lost my count. work. I don't. Uh, You've lost count. Uh, if it's a million, 10,000? 20,000. 20,000? What's the difference? What's the difference yes, what's between 20,000 and 30,000? Yes. No. 10,000 dead human beings. Okay. That's the difference. Okay. That all men are created in His exact verbiage. It is wrong to kill an innocent human being. I agree. Abortion kills a human being. I agree. When I do an abortion, I'm clear what she is asking me to do for her. I'm clear that she's making me to remove a fetus from her. I'm clear that in your terms, it is intentional killing of a fetus. What does it matter? He later said, uh, oh, it's a daily, the daily show. I think pro-life is a misnomer for people who are against abortion. Parker told host Trevor Noah, people who are opposed to abortion are pro-fetus. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life of a woman. And during this week, when we keep saying we're for live birth abortion on the left, and we'll segue into our violent left back-to-back, NBC brought on Gloria Steinem that said pro-life people are Nazis. Our next guest is a trailblazer in so many ways. Gloria Steinem is a best-selling writer, journalist, activist, and feminist icon. For more than five decades, she has been at the forefront of the fight for equality. Gloria Steinem is one of the most well-known feminist icons of our time. The third edition of Gloria Steinem's book of essays, Outrageous Acts and Everyday Rebellions, is out now. Gloria Steinem, so good to have you in the studio. It's wonderful to be here, but I don't know if I can live up to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can. I can watch a whole movie on that. What do you want this this new generation of reader to take away? Well, the new generation of reader is instructing me by saying that uh, these essays are still relevant. Why... Hitler was actually elected, and he was elected, and uh, he campaigned against abortion. I mean, that was, he padlocked the family planning clinics. Okay, so that is still relevant in terms of the right wing. So uh, there were very few things, actually, that I had to take out. It was a very disturbing event at UC Berkeley on Tuesday. Conservative youth organization, Turning Point USA's UC Berkeley affiliate, they had a table set up in the college's plaza where members were recruiting students to join. According to multiple eyewitnesses, an unidentified individual confronted the Turning Point table before physically assaulting Hayden Williams, a leadership institute field representative who was helping Turning Point. The actual punch was caught on camera but not what led up to it. Take a look. I don't give you a <laughs> you're a
hit me, I'll shoot your And then mess up Get the UC Berkeley released a statement addressing the incident saying, in part, quote, UC Berkeley strongly condemns violence, harassment of any sort for any reason. That sort of behavior is reprehensible. It's intolerable. A message was sent by our police force to the campus community with a picture of the suspect and a request that anyone with information about the incident come forward and report what they know in support of our police department's ongoing investigation. We intend to identify and bring the perpetrators to justice. A photo of the suspect has been released, as you can see on your screen, as a search for him now is ongoing at this hour. Joining us now with reaction, the student at the center of this controversy, Hayden uh, Williams is with us, Fox News contributor, campus reform editor-in-chief, our own Lawrence Jones is here. Um, all right, let me, obviously there's a lot going on here. Is that black eye, by the way, from this incident? Yes, it is. Okay, none of us, you, you're watching what's happening with Jesse Smuller, correct? Yes. A lot of people may doubt your story. What led up to it? And is there any evidence that you have eyewitnesses that will testify that you did nothing to provoke this? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a field representative, as you said, for the Leadership Institute. And it's my job to help organize and train conservative activists throughout California. And on Tuesday, I was invited to UC Berkeley's campus to help a conservative group, Turning Point, uh, recruit new members. And while I was there, some students took offense to our sign that we had that said, hate crime hoaxes hurt real victims. And this, this person claimed we were promoting violence on campus and, and uh, proceeded to uh, take his aggression out on us. How many witnesses do you have? Because I'm, listen, I'm watching. I train MMA, and that shot was a cheap shot, especially at the end. Um, you were, when did you start filming? At what point in the encounter? As soon as the gentleman, and I use that term lightly, approached our table and began acting very erratic, I, I, I feared for my own safety, so I, I started to record at that moment. All right. Now... Did you try to defuse this? Did you try and say, I'm entitled to my view. I, I guess one of the posters said, uh, this is MAGA country. Is, so I don't know what the trigger is for liberals and make America great again. Um, walk us through the very beginning. This guy, what did he do? When did you start filming? And how many people were there with you? That's right. So I had the president of the club with me there. And we were talking to a potential new member when this happened. And the, these two people just approached our table, as I said, very erratically, and started cussing at us. And that's when I knew that this was probably a troublesome situation. So I pulled out my phone to start recording, and uh, his friend, w one of the gentlemen that approached our table, smacked my phone out of my hand. Mm -hmm. And but there were I other people videoing, thankfully, right? That's, that's right. That's right. And uh, I picked Would up my you phone. Say, and what, how long into the confrontation did video begin that you have seen? Six, seven seconds. Wow. Lawrence, I've known you for a long time. You know about this group really yeah. well. Um, yeah. Give us, I know you've been investigating this for us, and tell us what you found out. 
So, Sean, you know, we don't rush to judgment on this program or on this network. We try to get all the facts. Uh, we have contacted three three students that were surrounding this event. They have backed up um, uh, what Hayden had to say here. We contacted the university, the university police, and we've even asked for if anyone has any other evidence that could give us a full picture uh, to give that to us. This is what we do but know. So, but we do it know that just, there were witnesses from the get-go, yeah. correct? Numerous ones? Yes. We know that. We know there were three witnesses, uh, but I think it's also important to note, Sean, that this is not new for UC Berkeley. All right, this, this is a school that's been burnt down almost because they don't like the conservative point of view on the college campus. And so uh, it's not just an isolated event here. The, the, the conservative view is under attack, uh, and you have professors that are on that campus that don't want the uh, conservative view and students there. So it's something we've got to take seriously, Sean. All right, Lawrence, thanks for investigating for that. Hayden? Assuming right now, because we're in this moment, obviously, with Jesse Smollett, that you have those witnesses, that would make Absolutely. you a victim. We, that person will be found, and Hopefully we so. will get to the truth, and we wish you well. And uh, I've had a few black guys in my day, but take care of that, and I'm sorry that happened. Uh, when we come back, we're going to read some of your viewer mail next, straight ahead. Once again, I'm trying to stay away from abortion. I know I cover it a lot, but it is just in the news. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And I understand the political side of it, that the right's just trying to get all these people on record to say they're for infant side. But I support that. If they did a vote on this every fucking day, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and let the American people see how far the abortion cult has gone. Because that's what we're talking about. These are cults. The gay mafia is a cult. The abortion movement is a cult. The gender movement is a cult. They're just into dogma and not common sense. That was a gentleman that was beat up last time in our last podcast. He was on Fox, so I played his side of the story. And then the woman who attacked a man in Cape Cod... Falmouth police charged Santos with disorderly conduct following the incident early this month on Tuesday. ICE took her into custody. Deportation officers with ICE fugitive operation team arrested Rosana Santos, an unlawfully present citizen of Brazil. She's going to get deported. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Our big left thing is still that sunrise Movement. I did some research because Adia Chavez, hundreds of young activists with Sunrise Movement are headed to Leader McConnell's office. It sounded a little something like this.
So this movement is attached to Ocasio-Cortez and Tlaib. The Sunrise, Sunrise Movement is funded in part by Wallace Global Fund, the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Family Fund, and the Winslow Foundation, run by Ren Winslow Worth, the wife of former Colorado Senator Tim Worth. Tim Worth serves as the national co-chair of Clinton, Clinton Core campaign. He admitted that in 1988, during the Senate hearing on global warming, he and his cohorts called the Weather Bureau to discover what was historically the hottest day of summer, then scheduled the hearing for that day, which turned out to be blistering hot. They did it on purpose. From their website, we're building an army of young people to make climate change an urgent priority across America. In the corruption influence of fossil fuels executives on our politics and elect leaders who stand up for the health and well-being of all people. We are ordinary young people who are scared about what the climate crisis means to the people and places we love. We're gathering in classrooms, living rooms, and worship halls across country. Worship halls. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. Everyone has a role to play. Public opinion is already with us. If we reunite by the millions, we can turn this into a political power and reclaim our democracy. For millennia, we have depended on a stable climate, which has shaped every part of our way of life. Now we face a frightening reality that this foundation will crumble with our lifetimes unless we take immediate and decisive action to transform our energy. Blah, blah, blah. I went there. We will not be divided. To keep up this scheme, they pit us against each other. That's actually what you people do, but that's okay. By political party, skin color, and where we live. They tell us that one community has to suffer for another to thrive. They say some children must breathe toxic air so others can have electricity. Blah, blah. We are the majority. We will win. Public opinion's already with us. If we unite, blah, blah. And then we dig a little deeper. That's half... Um, Daily Caller and a half from the website. I copied and pasted. And then I find this article from Occupy San Francisco. Sunrise Movement is a movement of young people organized to demand immediate action for the United States Congress to address the climate change crisis. The movement's made national headlines a week after the 2018 midterms when 150 young people, including 51, were arrested and sat in on House Speaker of the 116th Congress, Nancy Pelosi's office, they got arrested in that soundbite from McConnell, too. The Green New Deal. And the more I dug, the more I realized the guy in charge of it, Evan Weber, is an Occupy Wall Street guy. And she's linked to AOC. His other hit jobs... Tax bill protesters occupied GOP representative offices, and that was back before it became this sunrise for the climate. He was going after conservatives. His Wikipedia page reads like a liberal nightmare. The most important part. Someone tell these kids that McConnell has already agreed to put the Green New Deal up for vote. That's Peter C. Gartlitz. I don't want to say his name. A rando. And and he's right. So they're protesting McConnell who wants to put it up to vote. After they hit Feinstein who doesn't want it to vote. And Pelosi, they're just ignoring I guess. Because literally she's the one not going to ever let it see the light of day. It's not conservative. It's them they are making little zombies that's the purpose how do i know that here's a millennial zombie vanessa argodale 
I honestly see people opposing climate legislation as a direct physical attack on my life and the lives of hundreds of millions of others. You may as well go shoot up a school. You're killing the younger generations either way. It's a goddamn cult. It's just a cult. And how do I know that? Caitlin Bennett. She did a 15-minute video. If you should have people that don't believe in the left's bullshit, go to re-education concentration camps. I'm not going to play all 15, but I'm going to play a little bit, and it sounds a little something like this. I'm Caitlin Bennett, but today I'm going undercover as genitalia at UCLA to get students to sign this petition to put conservative students in re-education camps. They should definitely like have to go through some type of training and some type of camp to learn what it's like to be a queer person, to be a person of color in Trump's America. Because maybe they will start to listen and understand what we're saying. I feel like if the Trump administration is being radical, that we should also be radical in how we combat them. Yeah, I think it's brave of you. Hopefully, this can become a good initiative to kind of get some camps going around campus. They're only going to get something really positive care. out of these yeah, camps. Like, I'm not mad about this. I'm going to give this to the administration to let them know that people do support, um, you know, involuntary camps for um, conservatives. I mean, FDR put people in camps. Yeah, but sensitivity training, I think, is okay, a so we kind of like hiding what we're really doing. I'm really, you I'm do? digging this. You are? Oh, yes. oh perfect. I'm no, clear, this is so I, like, I'm a fourth year. I've been dealing with their oh, bullshit for yeah. like years. Um, I just need your name and email. Don't worry about your phone number. I'm not gonna. Oh, yeah. There. No worries. Um, but what's it called? You should email this email because I'm actually. Um, do you know anything about student government here? Yes. A little bit. I'm only a freshman. Okay. That's why like, I'm working so hard to get this out now. Right. So I am one of the student government representatives. Oh, so I'm the. I'm the it, it's called the external vice president. We have. Okay. We do all the lobbying and shit like that. Oh, perfect. Um, but basically, I mean, I have a lot of access to admin. Okay. have to take these drastic measures for what's happening, to right. be honest. But if they're, they, admin doesn't do radicalism. Okay. Um, well, they should. Right. <laughs> because our administration right. is. They, sh- they should. You just have to work on the phrasing of it. Okay. So it would have to be more of like a diversity and inclusion like training rather okay. than like something that is specifically searching for and like targeting okay. conservative students because then it's going to be kind of one of those so we have to like, right. we want to target them but we have to make sure that we don't come out and say it of course they do of course they do i mean come on of course they're all for that i had two other videos that are literally a kid at the high school getting picked on by a black kid. He's white in a Make America Great sign. He's a hall monitor. He's flipping his hat off and pushing him. And then an 84-year-old man got the shit beat out of him because he was wearing it at a Home Depot. And then another person got beat up because he was wearing it, and he was 80 years old. But the audio is not that great, so there's no sense of playing it. So there's three more mega hat attacks this week, but we're still talking about this. High court deciding fate of a cross-shaped Maryland war memorial. It's been there for a hundred fucking years from World War One, and atheists are going after it. Yeah, that that makes sense. That little cross has been there a hundred years. God damn it, we got to get rid of that shit. 
But I see it as the media. And once again, a lot of times I'll key in media stuff to this violent left and people, well, that's cheating. No, it's not. This is where they're getting it from. Charles Blow. Listen to this. This is a New York Times writer. Stop debating people on social media. Block them. The internet is now replete with trolls and bots. There's nothing to be gained from engagement. It's not a mark of openness or enlightenment. Engage with people you know. Engagement gave Russians an opening in 2016. It's so funny he says that because Madeleine Albright, it's in our tweets of the day, so I'll just do it now. She apologized to Mitt Romney because they, including her, mocked him for what he said. But they've had to ramp up this Russia thing so bad that they have to now go with Russia is the biggest threat ever on the planet. It's worse than AIDS. But there you have a New York Times writer saying, don't talk to other people. Stay in your bubble. And then you have CNN pushing this. And I'm not going to read it because we already read it. We read it when it first came out. What if Trump refuses to accept defeat in 2020? He just changed the title. This is the Civil War bullshit from Joshua A. Geltzer, an executive director and visiting professor of law at Georgetown Law Center Institute for Correctional Advocacy and Protection and an ASU Future of War Fellow at New America. He previously was senior director for counterterrorism and deputy legal advisor at the National Security Council for fucking Obama. The views expressed in this commentary are his own. View more opinions, articles at CNN. But they, they rolled this out. And it's basically the Civil War jerk porn that they're all wanting. They want this. They want to literally have a civil war. While all this violence is going on on the left and hoaxes, conservative media focus on hoaxes, not hate crimes. That was a chyron for an hour on CNN. There's a whole thread of people that just kept showing it. It kept coming back up. That's what they wanted. And then you have sound bites like this. This is Tom Elliott. I think he was on MSDNC. And now you have this sense that these people, even if Donald Trump doesn't mean it to sound that way, they feel they have access. They feel they are now insiders. What on earth is law enforcement to do? Well, you know, that's a very, very good point. And that's what I wanted to talk about with regards to Donald Trump's tape. You know, when he made those remarks, that's not dog whistle. Okay, that is a siren to these people. And what he says is, I wouldn't kill the media, dot, dot, dot. And he's leaving it up to you, the foot soldier, to go out and act as an independent actor and carry out his fantasy that's going on in his head. You know, a a while back when I was in the military, I, I went to Oklahoma City and I met the state trooper that was the one who pulled over Timothy McVeigh and took him into custody. And he gave us a little anecdote that was quite fascinating. He said, when I pulled him over and I asked him, son, do you have a weapon? McVeigh beamed at him as if I'm with you. I'm one of your guys. And he said, yes, sir, I do. Like he was in on the plot because he was a policeman. The policeman, of course, is not in on the plot, took him into custody. These guys feel the foot soldiers of the military, the FBI, and the White House support them. And that's when that can turn into violent, murderous action. And the president really needs to stop this, or it will manifest itself in a murder. And I- What kind of signal was it, Tom? I mean, how does that get out on the air? He sent a signal. 
He activated a cell? I mean, is he Osama bin Laden now? Is that what Trump is? You fucking people. The New York Times, just two months into the new Congress, Republicans have begun an all-out assault painting Democrats as extremists, even bigots, and trying to tar moderate moderates with their more liberal freshman counterparts. Is it not a, it's not a repeat. It's a new article. Just two months into new Congress, Republicans have begun an all-out assault painting Democrats... As extremists, even bigots, are trying to tar moderates with their more liberal freshman counterparts' beliefs. Their talking points appear to be resonating with some voters the Democrats will need next year if they are to keep the majority and the voters determined to flip the districts back. It's challenge, but it's what I signed up for, Miss Spangberger said in an interview after the town hall. She made a point of thanking her more critical questioners, including Dale Swanson, the founder of the local conservative women's coalition, for their presence and their questions. So it's not that they are extremists. It's you're saying it again. I mean, can the media ever stop spinning for the left's craziness? I mean, how can you spin for live birth abortions? How can you spin for BDS? BDS is saying Israel doesn't deserve to exist. You want to make them go away. That is in its very self anti-Semite. But they want Europe. They want Europe so bad that I'm going to play two sound bites. They're totally different. One is a preacher in England getting arrested for preaching Christianity. I could have played the video that was attached to it, which was a Muslim preaching, and the police did nothing. And another conservative attacked on campus. They had a build-the-wall banner. It was stolen by people. And just like the first sound bite we heard, Nobody's been arrested. The guy who punched the kid won't be arrested. These people won't be arrested for vandalism. It is almost state-sponsored violence towards people of an opposing view. I can be arrested if you want. Don't put your hands in my face. I can be arrested if you want. What's your face? You put your hands. You better. You better. You better. You better even make your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you doing here? I am preaching. You are preaching. I'm going to require you to go away. You can never. Okay, then I will arrest you for a breach of peace. Plain and simple. What? Breach of peace. This is what you're doing at the moment. You're causing problems, you're disturbing people's days, and you're breaching their peace. Okay, so for me, for that to be dealt with, if you won't go away voluntarily, you will have to arrest I you. will not go away. Because I need to tell them the truth. Because Jesus is the only way. The truth. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. I appreciate and that. And no body. Nobody wants to listen to that. They want you to go away. Oh, you don't they want to listen to that. You will listen when you are dead. You will listen when you are dead. You will listen. Take me, take me. No, 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 no. Don't, don't take my Bible away. Don't take my Bible away. Why would you tear down our property? Bill, 
Can you go back and man it? Make sure nobody grabs the other one? I believe someone's walking over. Okay. Excuse me. No. Please do not touch him. Why, Why would you tear down? down our banner? Why would you tear it down? I have it on video. He didn't touch you before. No. We have I'm a not. permit for this, guys. Why no. did you tear down our banner? Reasonable expectation. Why don't you think we should have free speech? You have no reasonable expectation of privacy either. You're in a public Why area. Why don't you think we should be able to talk? Why don't you think our ideas should be listened to? Your what? ideas are violent. Really? You're the one who tore down our speech. You're the one who took away our speech. The Constitution cares about it. The United That's States Congress, right. the United States Supreme Court. I am an immigrant. My, my right to live is not threatened. Your right okay, to live is not threatened is. by my banner. Mine is. How? It's not threatened by, by my banner. Because you are dangerous. Explain. How are we dangerous for putting up a banner? How? How is it hateful to want a border? I'm a legal immigrant. I don't want illegal immigration. I never saw border security as violent. How do you guys? I didn't say that. I just said border security. We have, we have the freedom of protest. You have freedom of protest. I never I never tell you you can't protest, but you can't take our property. Or they've attempted to remove it. But we're not, we're not aggressing upon them. We have a right to talk to them. And we're not, we haven't touched them. And they have no reasonable expectation of privacy. They're in a public area. And, but I, I see your point, but they okay. removed our property, which we had a permit to put up. I understand that. There's, there's bigger fish to fry in the world. This is the biggest one right now. I understand, sir. Thank you. Why did you, you have freedom of speech. We have freedom of protest. This is America. Oh, you have freedom of protest, but we had a permit to put that up from the university. Can I see it? Oh, sure, if you yeah, want to. Yeah, if, you, if you go back to our table, we have our president right there. She has a permit. I can pull it up right now, actually. Yeah. Pull it up. Pull it up. Our vice president can pull up the permit. You had a permit to hang that banner. From yes. the UF, yes. And to table. Yes. Okay. It's free speech zone. We can table there. Excuse me, man. Why are you walking away? There it is. Well, why would you walk away if you don't feel embarrassed? If you're proud of what you did. You're getting in his face right now, aren't you? Now, aren't you? No, no, we can't. Can you please not tear down our property? We're not harassing you. Just follow you. Make sure. Make sure what? We want to make sure the police find you. Make sure what? We want to make sure the police find you because you did something illegal. Yes, the police are on their way, ma'am. So if you're not ashamed of what you did, then why hide your face? Exactly. Because I don't consent to being videographed right now. You don't have to. It's a public did you, area. Did we consent? You have, a, we have a reasonable... Right. You have no reasonable expectation of privacy I'm pursuant to Florida law. I'm literally going to have a political debate with you because you are literally... Hey, how's it going, y'all? Hey. I just noticed a lot of running and things. I want to come yes, make sir. sure everybody was okay. They won't stop bothering me. They won't stop filming me. They won't stop bothering me. We're down our banner. 
Uh-huh. And they did this yesterday too, and they stole the it. The cops said to and make we're sure to follow that we know they're The banner perpetuates yeah. violence. We had a permit from UF to both table and plaza, okay. and to hang up our banner. Okay. So they have what no. What kind of banner it is? It you can ask them. We have. They have no reasonable expectation of privacy pursuant to Florida law in a public area, Perfect. and they also committed a crime. So we're just trying to document this for the police so that they can do what they will with that. Okay. okay. I just wanted to make sure everything was okay because I saw chasing and running, which certainly we don't want anyone to chase. Of course, about, nobody so. wants to get hurt ever. Perfect. So if I can just have, I, I just want at least a few feet. I want to talk to this student. Pardon me with the black shirt. Sorry, may I speak with you for a second? You can come over here. Uh, and if y'all can just, we won't go any further. Sure. Just okay. Uh, yes, hi, I'm right in front of Greiter Hall. I'm sorry, we can't, you've committed a crime. Thirty-three Midtown. No, no, I'm calling the police. They committed a crime. They're, they committed a crime. They're following and harassing. No, 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 no. Don't touch me. Get your hands off of me. Get your hands off of me. Get off of the bus. No, we have no. every right to be Get on this bus that you do. We have every right to be on this bus that you do. Yeah, he doesn't have his right to put his fucking hands on me, does he? You put his hands on me. He put his hands on you. You put his your hands on him, did you not? You put your hands on him, did you not? Before he put his hands on you, too. Uh, no, I didn't. I was blocking the bus. And that's legal, huh? Uh, she... So, so you can body check him and block the bus. I didn't body check him, he just fucking body checked me. No, Are you, you stood in his way, did you not? I'm blocking the bus, yes. I'm not touching anyone. Okay, so you blocking the bus, that's not against the law. It's like they just, they like it. They like the fact that in Europe you can't preach Christianity. That would be, if it was a Muslim, it would make the news. We would be hearing about it. But we don't. And I could probably play, I say this every week, I could play something from Campus Reform every goddamn week. Of violence towards conservatives. Because they're like Charles Blow. That's where they're getting it. They're like, I, I got another one. I, I, I'm waiting. I'm putting in the next podcast because it just came out. A professor saying police should be killed. The extreme, extreme left that is running our schools, running Sunrise Movement and brainwashing little kids, running our college campuses, our editorial boards, our Chuck Todds, our fucking every media member. 
morally right. It doesn't matter it's a crime. It doesn't matter you fucking assaulted somebody. Chris Cuomo said it. Not all punches are the same. And then last but not least, LGBT activist house was burned down. Police now suspect he set him on fire, set his own house on fire. And when it really came down to, what it really came down to, they were upset with this story because he killed his animals. No shit. Animals. And oh, that wasn't the last one. I forgot. I promised last time, I was going to do as a little segment, but this is um, Andy NGO. And this is just one thread on poor Portland, Oregon, where Matt in Oregon's at. I'm so sorry for you, Matt. My folks are at. My brother Randy's at. Here's just one thread. I'm just going to read it really quick. Portland has been freaking out over WW Week's bias story. The Portland police colluded with right-wing extremists that is disinformation. The mayor excoriated our law enforcement for the standard practice of communicating with protesters on both sides. The mayor now says this news creates a mandate for all city staff to be re-educated on how to fight white supremacy. This is a power grab. Portland City Council also just voted to pull out of the FBI Terrorism Tax Force, saying they devote too many resources to investigating Portland's extremist left-wing groups. They also express fears that the officials will cooperate with federal authorities on immigration. PDX City Council threw Portland police under the bus, accused them of colluding with right-wing extremists. In reality, the LT was doing standard practice by building rapport and gathering intel from all protesters. Police Association blasts the city's ignorance. Portland City Council on Moral, an incomplete story by WW Week, are used to destroy a dedicated professional lieutenant. The intel they gather in the rapport with the right-wing protesters was fed directly to the mayor's office. He's now being dragged for doing his job. Mayor's staff got protest intel on Patriot Prayer from Portland Cop under fire for texts with right-wing groups. At the public town hall event in Portland, activists are launching diatribes against the police, accusing them falsely of being collaborators Collaborators with right-wing extremists. They're calling for resignations. When they dislike a speaker, they hiss. An elderly woman said she doesn't think streets of Portland should be shut down by activists. Audience tells her to sit down and holds up signs saying lies. Antifa activists are trying to shout down the chief D outlaw, the female black chief of police of Portland. This is a shit show. Activists are calling for Portland police to be disbanded. It's a circus of identity politics and hysteria. Audience woman is calling for all police officers to go through bias testings. Audience woman is calling for white supremacists to be jailed for city to work with Antifa and it's going down and leave homeless people alone. Women start off by saying we are on stolen land. Crowd collapse. She stops and tells them to snap their fingers instead. She wants police to be disbanded. Blue lives do not matter because they don't exist. Woman speaking says she was offended that they didn't acknowledge this was Chinook land in the beginning. Man speaking goes on rant saying that Ted Wheeler hired Chief Outlaw as a token black person. He says she's just a black person in a white space. Haley Adams, a right-wing Jewish Him Too activist in Portland, shouted at the panel for allowing crowd to mistreat the few conservatives. Mob surrounds her and shouts, Nazi scum! She's then kicked out. Blue-haired man went to the front of the Portland Town Hall and accused the chief of police of allowing Nazis in the Portland Police Force. He said the Proud Boys and alt-right groups are part of the Portland Police apparatus. 
Poland police had extremely limited presence at the town hall. That was a mistake. Antifa masked up outside and was harassing and following the conservatives who were leaving. There were around 25 of them outside in the dark and no police in sight when I went outside. I think it was a mistake for the chief of police and Ted Wheeler to organize town hall listening session. It was a 2019 woke version of the witch trials. But by their own admission, the mob wants the Portland police to be disbanded. They're rather candid about this goal. Further, they have no qualms about wanting to use the state to imprison and prosecute their political opponents while allowing themselves to do whatever with impunity. I managed to speak briefly with the Portland police chief at last night's town hall. Thank you. Ted Wheeler's community staff rebuffed me. On the other hand, the chief was subject to horrible racist comments by progressive public who called her a race traitor. Big irony in this manufactured scandal is that Portland Police Lieutenant Nia and right-wing activist Joey Gibson are both Asian American. The people claiming to speak for minorities are calling them a black police chief, white supremacist. That's a perfect way to end our violent left. That is just, that is why the left fails. And it gives me hope that they'll continue to fail. They are so woke, they're calling Asian Americans white supremacists and a black police chief. That's why I don't live in Oregon. To fire for effect. Thank Tanya Jackson Satchel. The word today is irony. The date, the 24th, the month February, which also happens to be the shortest month of the year, which also happens to be Black History Month. The year 2019, the year 1619. History, her story. 1619, 2019. 400 years. 400 years. Our ancestors were stolen from Mother Africa to, and brought to Jamestown, Virginia enslaved. Our ancestors worked from the land from Kansas in the morning to Kansas at night. My grandmother, Zimmy Sheldon Retha, who lived to be 100 years young, who was a Spelman College graduate, even though her mother was a slave. My grandma, who saved 50 years of Social Security checks to put her first grandchild, she called me Spiky Poo. <laughs> she put me through Morehouse College and NYU grad film. NYU. Before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who have built this country and was today along with the genocide of its native people. We all connect with our ancestors. We will have love, wisdom regaining. We will gain our humanity. It will be a powerful moment. The 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's all mobilize. Let's all be on the right side of history. Make the, ro- make the moral choice 
between love versus hate. Let's do the right thing. You know I had to get that in there. No hay fronteras, no hay muros que frenen el ingenio y el talento. En cada región, de cada país, de cada continente del mundo, hay historias que nos conmueven. Y esta noche celebramos la excelencia y la importancia de la cultura y del idioma de diferentes países. Luis Ángel. Claro que sí. Claro que sí. Members of the Movie Academy come from across the globe. So it is truly fitting that this year, foreign language films are not just recognized in this category, but in almost every category. Hollywood's most famous and important mother, Miss Jennifer Lewis. Hollywood, the mother of Black Hollywood. Yes. Black Hollywood. I want everybody to go and pick up that book, not yes. because I need money, but I wrote that book for the millennials to let them know that no matter how big the fire, yes. they can come through it. You know, show business is one thing, but my life is now 25% show business, 75% the resistance. And it's you, about twenty percent also a good time. Oh honey, I'm a party girl. Oh don't stop me now. Your song I'm on trying Instagram. to be a good girl on the carpet. Do you care to <laughs> resurrect your hit song from yes, Instagram? That's right. I uh, have been saying as we come I love that sound. I wish it was for me. Now listen. <laughs> Woo! I wrote for Black History Month, with Black History Month coming to a close. I want everybody to hear this. Before you lie to us, remember Rosa sat on that bus. Before you tell your tale, remember Mandela sat in that jail. Right. Before you do anything, remember Dr. King. And before you connive and steal, remember Emmett Till. So one of the things about you is you stay optimistic. This has been a very, a very hard couple of days with some of the controversies that have happened. How do you stay positive? How do you stay hopeful? And what do you say, because you talk about millennials a lot, Look, when they see a story like this where things might not have gone the way people thought. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I am one of the most compassionate people on this planet. I love people. I'm an entertainer. But when we make a mistake, when we, I mean, who knows the true story? Right. But I do know that we have to have compassion. But more than that, there has to be consequences for whatever happened. Because the temperament of the country right now, it's fragile. All I can say is let's all put one foot forward and stand with each other. We need to unite now. It doesn't matter who does what, because there's going to be a lot of things going on. Our job is to stand together on the front line and say no when we know it's not right. Well, we want to say yes to you both being here. Thank you so much. Get on inside and have the time of your life. Thank you. Thank you. Yes and yes. Thank you. Thank you. We're about an hour away from the 76th annual Golden Globes, and the whole place is buzzing. It feels electric, you guys. And guess this why? This stage is electric. Guess why it's electric? Because of Billy Porter's standing here. Come on. Oh, my God. Yes. 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 Yes
Yes, yes. You know, I have the ballerina diamond. You better bring the cape. I got the cape with the inside lining. Can we get a shot of these shoes? A little for the children. Can we see the shoes? You have my Louis XIV situation. We don't see from Miss Gucci. Don't think we don't see what's going on here. We could just talk about this look all day long. Talk about this look. Randy Rome Couture. Okay, Randy. Randy Rome Couture for me. Um, and it's just, I, I feel like princess at the ball. Princess, well, Honey. congratulations, the success of Pose. It's, it's so you. phenomenal. We had James Vanderbeek up here a little oh, bit ago, just raving about the show. Why so, do you think the show was just hitting right here for people? I think because um, it's unexpectedly about family. You know, it's about your chosen family. Chosen, um, It's yes. about your chosen family. Sometimes when our families can't step up and love us right. the way we need to be loved unconditionally, mm -hmm. you go out and you find your own family. Honey. Yeah. And so that's what this is about. That's what this show is about. And I think it speaks to many people. Uh, you ever need you more chosen family? family? Uh, I found my family early you know i yeah. came out in 85 and okay. you know i started searching for my chosen family early but so you don't I look it. you don't look a day over 30 just so you know well you know. you're so and sweet you say all the right things shout out to your <laughs> kinky boots <laughs> thank Broadway. you oh my and God. best of luck tonight all right thank you so much let's toss it over to ben <laughs> With the oh, man of the hour, I'm gonna just say it. I the man of the hour, okay? Darling, you were serving looks, Billy. Well, looks. Well, listen, I didn't come to play. At all. I came you to came slay. To I came to I slay. I came to serve. I came to slay. Listen, I'm on a show called Pose. <laughs> I can't show up busted. Not at all. I can't show up looking like Boo Boo the Clown. I had to give it to the children tonight. Absolutely. I love it. Okay, so we have your fashion look, Billy. Yes. Break down. It was a Christian Siriano gown. Christian Siriano. Tuxedo gown, Tuxedo I should say. Gown, yes. Talk to me a little bit about the inspiration for what we're going to see. We're looking at it right now. It's coming up in just a second. What was your inspo? Yes, Billy. Well, I, wanted to, I wanted to create a space where we could have a dialogue about the masculine and the feminine and everything in between. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. You know, it's like a woman shows up in pants and nobody bats an eye. Right. A man shows up in a dress and it's like... And that double take, it happens, yeah, but why? All the time. Why? Because yeah. what are we saying? Mm -hmm. You know, women in pants, it's masculine, it's powerful. A man in a dress... What is that? I love, love, I'm not having love. that conversation anymore. Because I never felt more powerful than when I finally released all of the stuff that was put on me from the outside yeah. and stepped into Lola in Kinky Boots. Absolutely, I Kinky Boots. I never felt more powerful. I, I never felt it. more masculine. And you're looking good tonight right Thank now. You. So you did a little quick change on us. Show it off. Palazzo. Okay, Palazzo. Palazzo pants. Into it. You know. What did you think about the Oscar ceremony? Obviously, there was no host. Were there any highlights for you? How do you think it went? Uh, John Lewis was a huge highlight. Spike Lee winning was a huge highlight for me. Um, and Gaga and Bradley Cooper yeah. singing. Unbelievable. Shallow, right? That we song were for that is... Oh, Absolutely. It just brings me so much Tell me you're going to go get some champagne in there now. You got to toast to these looks you serve. I'm going to get some food because I haven't eaten and my little diabetic blood sugar is... Low. Okay. So I got to get it together before I get put the ball down back on to get to these All parties. Right, you get the gown on, boo. We're going to give a quick shout out to Carnegie Mellon University. Carnegie Mellon, CMU, Pittsburgh in the house. boring to be quite honest um i didn't watch i did tune in for the queen and 
me and my wife both uh, agreed that the best thing that ever happened and was she got sick and we didn't go see them because we had tickets and we sold them on a loss. But Adam Lambert is not Freddie Mercury. Not good at all. ABC News. There are no borders and walls that constrain ingenuity and talent. Javier Bardam. That was the Spanish section. Dana Loesch. To be fair, I assume this excludes the one around the ceremony itself. The fancy checkpoints manned by armed security. Separating celebrities from riffraff. Yeah. Maybe that's a border. I don't know. Oscar ratings up to 29.6. It's still the second least ever watched. They had to give guarantees to the advertisers that they could get their money back because people didn't want to advertise. A whole story that other than Maya Rudolph and Tina Fey and Polar was pretty less politico. Their, you know, talk was really not that political. It just kind of surprised me. Um, Oscar Green Book overcomes backlash to win. This is an interesting line. Because basically what they're upset with is that it's a conciliatory story. Where a white guy gets to know a black guy and it's better. Spike Lee pulls a Kanye when Green Book takes best pictures. While he didn't take the stage like Kanye West did years ago on MTV Movie Awards with Taylor Swift, uh, the black Klansman director Spike Lee did the next best thing when the best picture Oscar was won by Green Book. Peter Hammond reported that Dolby Theater that Lee clearly was furious, got up and walked towards the back of the auditorium in a huff. He then turned back and appeared again in an intense conversation with Jordan Peele, who was behind him. Lee paced the aisle and stormed to the back of the auditorium. When he came back, he turned his back to the stage during the speech. In a recent appearance he made on CBS Sunday morning to promote the Best Picture candidate, Lee recalled the time that Do the Right Thing didn't get a Best Officer and Miss Daisy won and blah, blah, blah. The time he said he wasn't commenting on the Green Book, but might have... Something to say if the film won. Don't be surprised the microphone followed him elsewhere. Um, I didn't know there was this huge thing. Uh, Jamel Smith. It reduced the long, barbaric, and ongoing history of American racism to a problematic and formula, a dramatic equation that could be balanced and solved. Green Book is an embarrassment. The film industry, unquestioning embrace of it is another. The rap, top critics vent on the Green Book. The Atlantic, top critics vent. Ira Green Book, more like white pages. Deadline Holloway, top aware and hearing the insider that when Green Book was announced the winner, Spike Lee was clearly furious. He paced, blah, blah, blah. Andrew Dalton, Spike Lee was visibly angry. AP Entertainment, Spike Lee was angry. New Day, CNN forecaster Eniton says the chance of Bernie Sanders winning the Dem nomination are about the same as the Green Book. Oh, really? We even had media... Talking about a movie and how they did not like the possibility that it could win. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. To a race relations movie whose older school approach never did garner the critical approval earned by some of its best picture competitors. So in the offstage drama department, you might have seen Spike Lee was reported to have taken exception to Green Book's win. Later backstage, he compared it to his actions during a Nick game. No, I thought it was courtside at the garden, he said. The ref made a bad call. So what's up? Well, time was when some movies featured black characters who had to show they were much better people than their white counterparts in order to be deemed worthy of being treated as equals. 
problematic, you might think. Well, critics of Green Book may see it as a film in that tradition. But the win was not without controversy. Some have called the film inauthentic and say it glosses over the true horrors of the Jim Crow South. Director Spike Lee stormed out of the theater when Green Book was announced as Best Picture. Daily Wire did a story. Brian Truitt from USA Today. Green Book stole the show for better deserving artists simply because they had black skin or because they pushed an anti-Trump political message. Uh, CNN's Lisa laments Green Book reinforced how America wishes to see itself in 2019. The movie of the same name has a scene with a white man teaching a black man how to eat fried chicken. The film has faced criticism by some for seeming to reinforce the white savior trope. L.A. Times went completely off the rails. Green Book upset as the embarrassment. Peter Fairley interracial buddy dramedy is insulting glib and huckerish. A self-satisfied croc masquerading as an olive branch. I got it. It doesn't feed the race hustling industry. If you have a actual movie about how black and white people really do interact. Black people don't trust white people. White people in a lot of areas don't trust black people. Then they start bullshitting around the cooler and they go, man, you're a good dude. You're a good dude. And we actually say those things to each other, which seems really weird that we say them. But that's because our media and the race hustling industry and the religion of progressivism says that we're not supposed to. We're just not supposed to. I would like one person to tell me sound check, by the way. If anybody could send me an email, Matt in Oregon. Did this sound better? I rearranged some sound, the soundboard, and I think it's trapping it better. It sounds better to me. I don't know. Somebody tell me. Let's move on. Yashir Ali. Lots of controversy around their Oscars this year, but I'm surprised no one has brought up the someone many people see as part of Harvey Weinstein's complicity machine is being called out. The co-producer of the Oscar this year, Donna Galati, and he does a whole 20-thing screen that all of a sudden we just don't talk about it anymore. It was actually 15. I'm sorry. Christian Toto, weird, no one is thanking the director of Bohemian Rhapsody because Brian Singer is in a lot of trouble. Brian Singer's timeline, history of allegations of defenses from troubled films of sexual assault. I didn't know that. But I was happy, and I'm going to play Rami Malek's acceptance speech because when I left that movie, I said if he doesn't win Best Actor, it's a crime. Because I could not tell, as I said on the show, I could not tell by the end of the movie, he wasn't Freddy. It was just startling, and I shed tears in that movie. I don't know why. It was just such a powerful performance. So it's good to see somebody that I actually thought should win something, in a movie that I actually went and saw, you know, an Oscar movie I went to, which is so hard, win. Here's his acceptance speech. And the Oscar goes to Rami, Rami Malek. This is the first Oscar and nomination for Rami Malek. Oh, my God. Uh, My mom is in here somewhere. 
Oh, I love you. I love you, lady. My family, thank you for all of this. Um, I, you know, my dad didn't get to see me do uh, any of this. He's, he's not, but I think he's looking down on me right now. So uh, this is this is a monumental moment. One, I, I'm so appreciative to all of you, to everyone who has had a hand in, in getting me here, uh, to the academy, to people who took a chance on me. Every step of the way, Graham King, Dennis O'Sullivan, everyone at Fox and New Regency, thank you guys so much. I may not have been the obvious choice, but I guess it worked out. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you, Queen. Thank you guys for being, for allowing me to be the, the tiniest part of your phenomenal, extraordinary legacy. I am forever in your debt. Uh, um, my crew and my cast, I love you. You are my equals. You are my betters. I, I could have never been here without you. Um, I think about I think about what it would have been like to tell little Bubba Rami that uh, one day this uh, might happen to him and I think his curly-haired little mind would be blown. Uh, that kid was, uh, he was struggling with his identity, trying to figure himself out and I think to anyone struggling with theirs and trying to discover their voice, listen, we made a film about a gay man, an immigrant who uh, lived his life just unapologetically himself. And the fact that I'm celebrating him and this story with you tonight is, is proof that we're longing for, for stories like this. I am the son of immigrants from Egypt. I'm a first-generation American. And... Part of my story is being written right now. And I could not be more grateful to each and every one of you and, and everyone who believed in me for, for this moment. It is something I will treasure for the rest of my life. Lucy Boynton, uh, you're the heart of this film. You are beyond immensely talented. You have captured my heart. Thank you so much. See, the way he did it doesn't offend me. We all are immigrants. I'm an immigrant. My wife's an immigrant. We weren't born here. But we immigrated the right way, and so did he. Notice nobody ever claps that. The Babylon Bee did a good one. Nation's wealthy, privileged, gathered to lecture nation on evils of wealth and privilege. According to source of 91st Annual Academy Awards ceremony this evening, the nation's wealthy, privileged elite gathered to lecture the nation on the horrendous evil of the wealth and privilege. The wealthiest point zero 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 one percent of the nation arrived at the exclusive walled-off high-security event in limos and luxury cars driven by servants in order to spend a few hours telling the nation's poor, middle-class citizens how they need to throw off the yoke of oppression put on them by the wealthy elite. It's the white privileged wealth hoarders that are ruining America, said one white privileged wealth hoarder whose net worth is estimated at $160 million. All you people in cheap seats at home, you need to do better. And it goes on. It's so true. It's so true. It, it, I, I just laugh. I, it's that projection. By the end of this show, I'm going to be saying projection a lot. 
I'm just going to say projection, projection, projection. Because gaycation and the gender revolution is all about projection and assumed. I assume you feel these, so I push back. I assume. Yeah. So there are two ads I'm going to play back to back, and then we're going to go straight into a music break and then come back into 2020. One is Nike. They did this woman thing, and I'm still asking somebody, where's the beef on this? Where the fuck are women held down? Where are women forced to have babies and cook pies in kitchens and be barefoot and pregnant? I, I don't see it, not in the world I live in. As I said a million times on this podcast, my wife runs the show, I wear the skirt. And I have no problem with that. I was a alpha male for 32 years of my life, and through all 32 years, yes, dear, is what I said. And I was raised by a woman. So I don't know where she was held down either. I don't see it. And then the NRA puts them out that never aired, which is pretty good. Our music today is going to be my ever hate of auto-tune. We're going to start with Chief Keef. Yeah, there's two F's in that. Um, and it's not spelled normal. And it's not, not going to be the whole song because I will not subject you to that. But I just want to have auto-tune music so we can make fun of it. And when we come back in on 2020... Um, Wow, I have two sound bites. I'm just going to play them and edit down a little bit. But it, it's just insane how the media is all in. My favorite and the only one you'll hear totally uh, is Cup Stop Hurting Dem Candidates. Joy Reid shooting, shooing her racism white husband won't, showing her racism, I'm sorry. Um, the Camelia Harris white husband, she needs a strong black man. Oh, really? Enjoy. If we show emotion, we're called dramatic. If we want to play against men, we're nuts. And if we dream of equal opportunity, delusional. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. It's super, it's gonna need to calm down. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical, or rational, or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking? Crazy. Coaching an NBA team? Crazy. A woman competing in a hijab? Changing her sport? Landing a double cork 1080? Or winning 23 Grand Slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy, 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 and crazy. So if they want to call you crazy, fine. Show them what crazy can do. Something's gone wrong for all our vigilance and battle scars over the Bill of Rights. Have we let the flame of freedom's torch grow cold? Because there can be no torch to pass where there's no flame. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The Second Amendment. Politicians legislate against it. The epidemic of gun violence in America. 
That's a national emergency. Why don't you declare that emergency, Mr. President? Media ridicule it. Movies pervert it. So it's not unreasonable that with one lost generation, we could lose the Second Amendment forever. Because we didn't teach them what the battle's all about. We didn't strike that spark in their hearts that lights the fire for freedom. So why does that belief burn so brightly in you and me? Imagine if every kid had learned what we learned, that without a Second Amendment, by what means could a free people expect to protect freedom? We learned that. History proves it. Common sense confirms it, and any school kid can grasp it. Only people who are free to own firearms can remain free people. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That is the passion we must ignite in those who follow. All of us who feel that surge of pride, who chill at the genuine glory of a free people able to protect their own freedom. If we focus on anti-gun legislation but ignore an anti-gun generation, if we spend years as pro-gun activists but only minutes as pro-gun mentors, if we've earned the support of this generation of office holders but not the next generation of voters, we will have failed. Every one of us born beneath this blessed American sky has rights nobody can take away. Because no one gave them to us. They were ours from the beginning. America will never be a socialist country. If you consider yourself a freedom-loving patriot, you can't shirk your duty to teach America's young to understand the Second Amendment, to revere it, to embrace it, to defend it, and in their turn, to bequeath it. That's what we have to do. We. The teachers, the neighbors, the clergy, the uncles, the grocers, the legislators, the scoutmasters, the parents, the Americans. Only then can we pass the torch with that sacred flame that lights the American way.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Attendees at the session then reportedly debated how best to establish a group of researchers that could scrutinize federal climate reports. That reporting follows President Trump's decision to nominate Kelly Knight Craft to be U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Craft, who currently serves as Ambassador to Canada, made headlines in 2017 for saying this about climate change. Well, I think that both sides have, you know, they have their own um, um, results from their studies, and, and I appreciate and I respect both sides of the science. Is that how science works? To be continued. But first, here's my take. It's refreshing to see the Democratic Party bubbling with new ideas. But its new thinking seems starkly different from the party's reform efforts of the past three decades. The wonky proposals of the Clinton-Obama era were pragmatic and incremental, and they mixed market incentives with government action. Today, we have big, dramatic, stirring ideas, and that could be the problem. In their zeal to match the sweeping rhetoric of right-wing populism, Democrats are spinning out dramatic proposals indeed, but in which facts are sometimes misrepresented, the numbers occasionally don't add up, and emotional appeal tends to trump actual policy analysis. When Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was confronted recently by Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes about an egregious misstatement about Pentagon spending, she responded... I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. Perhaps this casual attitude towards facts explains the way that she and many others on the left have misrepresented the deal that New York offered Amazon to bring a new headquarters there. If we're will, willing oh, to give away $3 billion for this... Explained. This was a deal that was going to bring $27 billion in revenue to the state and city for things like public education, mass transit, affordable housing. And that $3 billion would go back in tax incentives was only after we were getting the jobs and getting There's the There's not revenue. $3 billion There's in no money, money that exists right. anywhere, correct? Exactly. Or consider the race by prominent Democrats to embrace Medicare for all. A variety of expert studies have estimated that the total increased government spending would be between two and a half and three trillion dollars a year. Few of the many proposals being floated would likely raise anything close to that in revenue. And if a Herculean effort were made to raise revenue for Medicare for all, there would be few easy avenues left to fund any of the other ambitious proposals on the new Democratic wish list. Let me be clear, universal health care is an important moral and political goal. But the U.S. system is insanely complex, and getting from here to single-payer would probably be so disruptive and expensive that it's just not going to happen. Now, there is often incentivizing people to hide assets, devalue them, and create dummy corporations. There are smarter, better ways to address inequality. Raise the capital gains tax to the same level as income taxes. Increase the estate tax. Get rid of the massive loopholes that make the American tax code one of the most complex and corrupt in the world. But again, this is less stirring stuff than burning the billionaires. AOC's comments on 60 Minutes reminded me of a July 2016 exchange between Newt Gingrich and CNN's Alison Camerata. 
Violent crime across the country is down. This is uh, the FBI statistics. They're not a liberal organization. No, they're but crime what I said is equally true. People feel, feel it. more threatened. Yes, they feel it, but the facts don't support Fine. it. As a, as a political ca candidate, I'll go with how people feel, and I'll let you go with the theoreticians. We already have one major political party that now routinely twists facts, disregards evidence, ignores serious policy analysis, and just makes stuff up to appeal to people's emotions and prejudices. If the Democrats now start moving along this path as well, American politics will truly descend into a new dark age. For more, go to CNN.com slash Farid and read my Washington Post column this week. Uh, who, unfortunately, uh, her district uh, was robbed of this uh, uh, Amazon uh, opportunity. Uh, but she talked about 25,000 good-paying jobs uh, that were lost. Uh, she talked about uh, massive infrastructure improvements that were lost. Uh, the fact that when somebody like Amazon comes to your area, that that attracts other tech giants. Mm -hmm. The opportunities lost there are extraordinary for people, as Andrew Ross Sorkin said, who don't even understand basic economics. They actually think, you know, all that money and tax incentives, if the jobs were brought and all the other great things happened to that area. You know, he said there's a financial literacy epidemic in America. Quick lesson, New York City wasn't handing cash to Amazon. It was an incentive program based on job creation and how much tax revenue they created. There isn't $3 billion that can now be spent on subways or education. And unfortunately, Donnie, this project was killed by people who didn't understand that and also who ignored over 80 percent of Latinos in the New York area and 70 percent. She has Twitter following and that's her that's her power base to basically come out and say, as, as you pointed out, what a great thing it is. We could take that money and give it to teachers. It doesn't exist. It's an abatement. Twenty seven billion dollars. We put down three. That's business. That's what happens. And <clears throat> you attach this to the Green Deal and you are handing President Trump. President Trump now gets to go, oh, the Democrats don't want jobs. The Democrats don't want companies coming to your neighborhoods. The Democrats have a green deal that wants a 70% tax rate, that wants jobs for everybody, even if you just hand it to you, that just tuition, hand it to you. Socialism. We are in a dangerous place. And if people don't in the party don't start to speak up against people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is young and dynamic, but does not know what she's talking about. And her and her cohorts, some of these new, fresh, progressive faces, are going to hand the presidency back to Donald Trump. I want everybody well, yeah. to understand that. Well, you know, Willie, this is something that uh, I talked about yesterday at the top of the show, about how a lot of our overreach uh, back when uh, I first got into Congress as a freshman in 1994, running against Bill helped Bill Clinton get elected two years later. Uh, the important thing to remember here, though, is there are a lot of local politicians, uh, uh, not a lot, but some local politicians in New York City also opposed to this still. Uh, yeah. It's just AOC was the most vocal and was actually cheering, which I do find remarkable, cheering on Twitter the loss of 25,000 high-paying jobs that most of the people in her district and most of the people in New York wanted. 
Yeah, at 25,000 jobs promised as part of the deal by Amazon, but obviously the ancillary jobs that flow out of that, businesses that are built around there. Would there be some gentrification? Sure. Of course there would have been, as you had these $150,000 a year jobs move in there, and that was part of the concern. But think about the, think about what comes out of that. Think about all the businesses that are built and the people that are hired and the, and the dry cleaners and the restaurants and everything that flows out of 25,000 jobs coming in. Susan, you've worked in New York City politics for a very long time. Um, what's your view of this? And did some of the progressives have a point in some of their, in some of their protest about what Amazon wanted out of this deal? No, because the protests that we saw were to get on the AOC's bandwagon. And what's shocking to me is yet once again she shows how little she understands not just economics, but even unemployment. She's the one who said the reason unemployment is so low is because a lot of people have two jobs. She needs to learn basic things about what it rep to be a representative. And when you look at what's happened in New York City and New York State, we're losing people like crazy. We are going to lose our influence in Washington during the next redistricting because we'll lose about one to two congressional seats. Now we're telling business, don't come here. Just because she has a progressive agenda, which some people like, does not mean she has the city's best interest. What she showed me today or yesterday is that she only cares about herself, not about her colleagues and Carolyn Maloney, and definitely not about the people she represents because those people would be getting jobs as well. Well, and again, it's not just the jobs. It's also the infrastructure improvements for even people that aren't working on the project that would make people's commute from her district and also all around New York uh, a bit easier, a bit less onerous. The commute is so long and so difficult for so many working class New Yorkers. It's a real problem. But again, Mika, this is the sort of thing, again, this is the sort of thing that, again, I found when I first got to Congress, younger members uh, of Congress just didn't know what they didn't know. And I put myself on the top of that list. That's something that you actually write about in your new book. Yeah, in, in Earn It, um, which we just announced yesterday, I, I focus on millennial women, women in their 20s and 30s. And that zeal, that joy, that energy, that new kind of thinking is all great, but you still don't have the experience. And in this case, it's the political experience. It's the ham-fistedness of that tweet. Obviously, the issue was complicated. Obviously, there was a lot of support for what she was talking about on the local level. It is always more complicated, but in politics, it's clear. And she needs to follow some of the more successful, more mature members. I would suggest Nancy Pelosi would be a great example. But you don't know what you don't know, and you're going to step in it if you're not careful. And they have a few times, and I just, I watch AOC with a a lot of hope, but I'm all that got to do with 2020. Well, you'll be shocked to learn that an unedited version of that video exists, which, in context, makes the senator look less like the villain in Hansel and Gretel. But it's just one example of recent dem on dem crime. In this case, environmental activists confronting the California Democrat and posting her edited and seemingly smug response on social media. And this kind of stuff is only going to heat up as Democrats try to outleft each other on and off the campaign trail and prove their progressive bona fides. This is a fight for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party, yes, but it's also, may I remind you, supposed to be a fight for the White House. This kind of stuff isn't a good look. Just take a look at some of the latest headlines from the campaign trail. 
Bernie once praised bread lines 40 years ago. Amy Klobuchar ate a salad with a comb in 2008. Kamala Harris says she won't apologize for prosecuting child molesters. Well, I would hope not. Reparations to become the new litmus test for Democrats. If I'm Donald Trump, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances. As long as the media keeps zeroing in on these dumb plot lines, and as long as Democrats spend the next year talking about the things most Americans don't prioritize, and as long as candidates sound more like they're running for president in 1950 Russia instead of 2019 America, Trump's got this one in the bag. And that should be worrisome to Democrats. After all, President Trump is at record low approvals and he's facing a dozen different investigations. And yet, Elizabeth Warren is talking about reparations. The media is talking about Amy Klobuchar's salad comb. A former prosecutor has to defend her record of prosecuting criminals. This is all good for Trump, guys. Black men, blue-collar yes. black men, they're going to have mm -hmm. a problem with her record. And you're right, Kareem, she's not the only person. But I will say, I think the African-American community expects more from people who look like us, particularly a candidate who wants to uh, represent us. So she needs to find a strong black man advocate who can be in her corner at some point on the campaign, at some point in any space in her campaign. That I would say that was my, my key advice. Find a prominent blue-collar, self-made black man to be in your corner. Let's just be candid. When you're saying that she needs to have an advocate out there for her it's not going to be her husband she's got to surround herself with african-american women oh we're back that was a long break <laughs> i had to play it i edited it down but I, it's the same old it's the same old i know it might seem tiring to plan but it just I, it still surprises me when they just go so all in stephen miller Harris is also starting to look notoriously bad off the cuff. When she's asked a question, she begins searching for metal Rolodex for prepared answers instead of engaging. My kingdom for a single journalist willing to ask Deb nominees why they are running on overhauling the health care system again after implementing their single party down the line health care overall vote six years ago. Well, that's easy. They don't want to admit that really they just want single payer. Then you got Elizabeth Warren. I believe in science and anyone who doesn't have no business making decision about our environment. One of the most anti-science things a person can say is, I believe in science, everybody said. But more importantly, you damn sure don't believe in biology. Mm -mm. Virginia Fairfax compares himself to a lynching victim. Yeah, that's not, yeah, we're not, nothing happened. Blackface, sexual assault. You got a D, man. Got a D. June Vidal, me Herdison and the Intercept on changing the language we use to describe those who fight for economic policies that benefit the broad majority. AOC, Sanders, and Warren are the real centrists. I'm not reading the article. They're trying to rethink, frame everything. That's a key thing for 2020. They're not the extremist you are because you don't embrace their moral rightness. That we need to we need to redo. I mean, the Sunrise Movement's sole purpose is occupy Wall Street, which was overthrow the government. Green New Deal, overthrow the government. Everybody signed on to it. The anti-Semitism, the live birth abortion. You're the extremists because you don't believe that. All of you are extremists. Now, once again, I don't know how that gets you votes. I don't know how that garners you a single vote telling your voter base, you're an extremist if you don't believe my bullshit. I mean, it didn't work well for Hillary. 
Yeah, she got an extra 4 million votes out of California that most of them probably were illegal now that we're looking at it because everybody has a driver's license. But that doesn't win the Electoral College, which is the game we play. So to do Camilla, it's pretty simple. Camilla, Kamala, whatever the fuck. This just sums her up. It's about her game of that she can't, like Sanders, like AOC... They can't explain their bullshit. They can't explain how they're going to pay for it. And then she's asked about identity politics that we all know is the left's way of shutting you the fuck up. If I can call you a racist, homophobe, you're going to shut up. I win the argument. But she has the ovaries to say, no, it's actually them shutting us up. You cast yourself on the campaign trail as a truth seller. You say we need yeah. to tell truths. Yeah. Um, what do you say, or let, tell me if you think this is fair, that as you talk to Democratic voters, they're hungry, mm-hmm. uh, and they want ideas. Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear things like the Green New Deal. You'll yeah. hear things like uh, Medicare for All. Uh, you'll hear things like you, whether it's taxes. You'll hear things. Right. Uh, at what point do you say, that's our North Star, but we have to be realists? We, there's no question we have to be practical. But being practical also recognizes that climate change is an existential threat to us as human beings. Being practical recognizes that greenhouse gas emissions are threatening our, our, our air and it, threatening the planet and that it is well within our capacity as human beings to change our behaviors in a way that we can reduce its effects. That's practical. Can we afford it? Of course we can afford it. Two and a half, three trillion dollars a year for Medicare for all by some studies. I don't, depending on which portions of the Green New Deal you pick to do first, that's money. Uh, that you know what the Republicans are going to say, tax and spend liberals, pie in the sky. One of the things that I admire and respect is the measurement that is captured in three letters, ROI. Mm -hmm. What's the return on the investment? People in the private sector understand this really well. It's not about a cost, it's about an investment. And then the question should be, is it worth the cost in terms of the investment potential? Are we going to get back more than we put in? So when Mayor Bloomberg, Amy Klobuchar... Some of your potential fellow Democrats say, no, it's too much, it's too ambitious, it's too expensive. You think they're wrong. I look forward to that debate on the debate stage. I look forward to it very much. And and you're talking about specifically issues that face, you know, African-Americans. We're seeing all of these videos of people barbecuing while black people being confronted by Mm -hmm. even civilians, uh, having the police called on them. These are race based issues. They're, they're very they directly are. racial. Um, I think what a lot of Americans, when, I, when, when African Americans talk to me about this, yeah. race, and even talking about the Obama era, they say, you know, when a black person achieves power, mm-hmm. the disincentives toward doing race-based policy are so strong. The larger world wants you to do rising tide lifts all boats, not race conscious or race specific mm-hmm. policy, because then you appear biased. If you were to be elected president, you would not only be the first woman president, um, you would be the mm-hmm. second African-American mm-hmm. president. Um, the Indian-American community is, you know, has a claim on you mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, would you feel, would it, would, it, would it be difficult for you to advocate race-based policy, or would you feel that you have to do just rising tide? Look, here's how I feel about this, and I want to talk about the issue of identity politics, Joy. Mm-hmm. I gave a speech about this at Netroots last year. Yep. So, and so you know this this term identity politics. People will use that term. It's like people used to talk about the race car. Right. And they'll bring this term up 
when you talk about issues that are about race, about sexual orientation, about religion, um, they'll bring it up when we're talking about civil rights issues as a way to marginalize the issue, as a way to frankly try to silence you or shut you up. And we need to call that what it is which is to try and, and divert away from a conversation that needs to happen in America. Why? One, because we must speak truth. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism are all real in this country. So we need to have that conversation and address it. But two, and this is equally important, how America deals with these issues and the disparities and also the hate that can can that can be that causes these issues to become lethal in proportion how america deals with these issues is a matter of american identity this is not about identity politics and if it is it's about the identity of the united states of america how we handle those issues will be about and i read it and i was like you know what i don't care anymore i don't care anymore because again i'm at least trying and they're not. So the power is in the person who's trying, regardless of the success. If you're trying, you've got all the power, you're driving the agenda, you're doing all this stuff. Like I just introduced Green New Deal two weeks ago and it's creating all of this conversation. Why? Because no one else has even tried. Because no one else has even tried. So people are like, oh, it's unrealistic. Oh, it's vague. Oh, it doesn't address this little minute thing. And I'm like, you try. <laughs> you do it. Right. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. That's How right. about that? You heard it here. And it's time for the boss, AOC. Now, I started to actually count the likes and I got to about 20 and I quit this is 15 minutes I'm not going to make you listen to it all I wouldn't do that to you because that's just fucking painful but this weirdo decided to cook chili and talked with her boyfriend and film it that's her thing now all the dams are into cooking and talking to you um I don't understand why but that's what they're doing and there's a lot to unpack in this i mean there's just a lot to unpack but i'm gonna spare you the pain and i will speed it up to the good stuff so it's a cool kind of example of you know some people design their homes cohesively and they try to make their whole home have like a similar vibe and they they didn't they took a different approach their kitchen was like a total like jetsons type of kitchen the bathroom was pretty extravagant but the the living room is very modest and overall the home is very modest um don't know the Reagan administration and you can read all about this This is not like some conspiracy theory this is history the Reagan administration um, engineered uh, kind of a, a drug funneling situation in order to fund and finance um, 
military action. And one of the officials who, who pled guilty to crimes is the United States, is now the Trump appointed United States envoy to Venezuela. This guy is a criminal. He's, he is a legit criminal, pled guilty. Um, the way I feel about it is first and foremost, we have to empower and center uh, the people of Venezuela and the will of the public. That is um, the number one issue that we have to center here because um, really the issues of our time, you know, people want to make this about like an ideology, like, oh, this is about socialism, this is about capitalism, this is about this, that, and the other. And it doesn't, what people don't understand is that this is really kind of an issue of Works and say, oh look, because this nation has hyperinflation and is is a failed state. Um, this tells you the failures of capitalism. It's a first of all, uh, this is really an issue of a failure of democracy. And first, and I would say that people want to say my ideology is this, my ideology is that. What I believe in, above all else, is is a true democracy, is democracy as a form of government and democracy in the workplace, democracy in our economy. Um, that, is, that is one of my number one guiding principles. And, um, and when we see a failure of democracy, like for example in our country where corporations, I'm making vegetarian chile, anyways it's like we haven't seen her does she even live in the Bronx because they, they were like staking out my old apartment and couldn't find me and it's like it just feels like people feel much more entitled to to like very private and personal information about me that they don't ask for of other people it's like I'm sorry um, I don't know if I, I don't know if you all saw but like a guy was just arrested last week with all of these you know, semi-automatic guns and literally trying to kill me and other people. Like, literally arrested before trying to, like, murder me. Our planet is going to make disaster if we don't turn this ship around. And so it's basically like there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should, is it okay to still have children? And I mean, not just financially, because people are graduating with 20, 30, $100,000 worth of student loan debt, and so they can't even afford to have kids in a house, but also just this basic moral question, like what do we do? And, and even if you don't have kids, 
there are still children here in the world and we have a moral obligation to them and uh, to leave a better world for them and this idea that if we just you know i've been working on this for x amount of years um it's like not good enough like we need a universal sense of urgency and people are trying to like introduce watered down proposals that are frankly going to kill us a lack of urgency is going to kill us it doesn't matter if you agree that climate change is an important issue it, at, at this point it doesn't matter if you if you believe climate change is a problem that's not even the issue it's it's the issue is how urgently you feel we need to fix it and if you do not have a sense of urgency to try to turn this around in 10 years how is that different than a person who's just Someone said, please explain the Green New Deal. Thank you for asking. So the whole premise of the Green New Deal is that we're screwed on climate. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. If we do nothing, there is no hope, period. That's just a principle across the board if we do not act, there is no hope. We are dying now, 40 years, and we've never addressed it. In fact, the issue's gotten worse. So I don't think that working on an issue for 30 years alone is what qualifies as is what makes someone qualified to, uh, to solve an issue that said there are a lot of people that have been doing this work for decades that have proposed ambitious solutions for years and have not been listened to so it's not just I've been doing this for 30 years so we need to listen to them because frankly people have been failing at the same things for 30 or 40 years. What we need to do is say what solutions have not been tried yet and what ambitious scale have we not shot at yet and let's do it. Trump put in Chile. Oh my God. Baloney! <laughs> he would put baloney in Chile. Both because I think that that's where his taste palette is developed to, and for the obvious reasons. Probably putting the pizza that he cut with a fork and knife. Yeah, I inserted the fast forward sound, but that that is just a whole lot of just crazy. Uh, Aaron Biba, AOC just said climate delayer. 
And that is the best new term of 2019. So you got deniers and delayers. Ben Shapiro, my two-year-old also says he's the boss. He is, in fact, not the boss. The New Republic, if the looming 12-year deadline to confront climate change is missed, what purpose could life have in the face of an unavoidable collective downfall? And that's what you got from her little chili cook-off. Chile! I'm cooking chili! There's no hope! Don't have kids, don't reproduce. The world is over. That's what we're handing our kids? Then facts start coming out that she won't answer to. 93 trillion to do her crazy GND, 65,000, 650,000 per family. That's what you'd pay. Secret wealthy donors for AOC's Green New Deal have been revealed. George Soros. It's just facts. Her boyfriend is a ginger, which really surprised me because she's so anti-white. Where in the world does Alexander Ocasio-Cortez live? Whole interviews with people. It's not a conspiracy theory. They use it to film. Her neighbors say that. It's not randos. These are minority people going, yeah, she doesn't live here. I've never seen her. I don't know who she is. Coupled with the fact that her filing was from Knoxville, Tennessee, she doesn't even live in her district. She says, I still live in the hood, literally Instagram from my apartment tonight. A man just arrested last week with a stockpile of guns, specifically trying to kill me and others. Ah! The GOP is so disconnected from the basic idea that people should be paid enough to live that Fox actually thinks me paying a living wage in my office is communism. Actually, it's socialism. Paying your staff out of public funds collected from private taxpayers. Yeah, that's socialism. Mm-hmm. She's just a fucking hot mess. If that is your banner carrier for your new cause, you are screwed, as she said. We're just doomed. We're doomed if that fucking grab bullshit is what you call... The fresh new face. The forward thinking. I mean, seriously. What the... I feel dumber for listening to that. I had to listen to the whole fucking 16 minutes. I cut it in half. It's still just fucking painful. Let's go to hate tweets before I kill myself. Because we're doomed! Tweet of the day. I guess though that I, I, then w- can Democrats not? Let me ask you this: You talked about it first, story because I've thought about this. Will Democrats regret if they don't open an impeachment investigation? Yeah, I actually think you know that what I mean by it's, that. It's yeah. important, right? If if we can have. Um, you know, Bill Clinton impeached for obstruction of justice about a sexual affair. These are things that could amount to treason against the United States, certainly a conspiracy against the interests of the United States. And it's just whether or not, and, you know, Democrats are often looking at what the polls are, um, but whether or not it's going to be uh, a winning case in the Senate, whether or not it's going to be something that any Republicans will get on, although I think we need to be watching Mitt Romney in Utah. Utah is a place that Donald Trump is not very popular. Um, 
whether or not it succeeds, these are people who took an oath to the Constitution. And I think that they have to, in the long course of history, say, you know what? The unintended, what is the unintended consequence if they don't do that? But aren't they afraid, looking back at Newt Gingrich and what happened, excuse me, to Republicans in the midterms, that's the political argument, and that may be trumping everything else. David Graham wrote this yesterday in The Atlantic. Mueller's report, or whatever version of it the public sees, will be an important document whenever it emerges. But it needn't and probably won't radically change anything about the basic story. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, and you don't need a special counsel's report to know what kind of president Trump is. Lonnie? We are in an environment where people have made up their minds. They, you know, in the absence of some spectacular revelation in this report, people are going to argue it exactly the way we think they're going to argue it. Republicans will argue it their way. Democrats will argue it their way. The 2020 candidates will look at it their way. I I tend to agree that this report, at the end of the day, is a political document more than anything else. I think it's also a historical document, though. You know, maybe it's being one of the young probably the youngest person on the panel here, but I think about this, what am I going to tell my children about this period of time? And if we just think about what the talking heads and the politicians are going to say right now, I think we're doing a disservice to the long course of history of this country. This is an amazing amount of abuse of power, lies from left and right, the administration and the campaign. We have to have a long view of the reckoning that that we have to take after the Mueller report, after this administration is over. Yeah, I think uh, I think the following: a lot of uh, a lot of uh, important people in this country's tweets uh, posted heretofore will not wear well. That's a prediction. <laughs> and number two, I think the Mueller investigation has already uh, done a lot of good for America in terms of uh, in terms of talking about Russia, its involvement in the campaign, opened up other resources that are dealing with that. Now, a lot of people who are bad people surrounding the press of the United States have been indicted or convicted. Lastly, uh, I will say this. I, I don't think the president will be indicted. Uh, you know, I've kind of made up my mind on that when they agreed to answer in writing mm-hmm. a lot of important questions that the Mueller uh, investigation sent them. You don't normally do that if you feel like you're in serious threat of an investigation. And lastly, I think the Mueller report will end with unfinished business. You know, whether campaign violations in terms of opposition research that Stone and others gotten from foreign governments, uh, there's going to be a lot to look into. It is much, much worse than you think. That's the first line of a new book explaining why you shouldn't just be worried about climate change. You should be hair on fire alarmed. A deadly increase in wildfires, water scarcity, drought and flooding, mass famine, mass disease, all potentially in the lifetime of your toddler. There's been a debate uh, among environmentalists, among among climate change scientists, and those talking about it about how um, how alarmist scientists should be about the the pace of change and what could happen uh, in the next eighty or so years. Um, it seems like more scientists now are leaning towards that we need to really sound the alarm and we need to scare people. Yeah, I think there was a big turning point in October with the IPCC report that was just studying the difference between 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees of warming. We're likely to hit 2 degrees in the next couple of decades, so it's even closer than you say. But we're headed for more than 4 degrees by the end of the century, which could mean $600 trillion in global climate damages. That's more than double all the wealth that exists in the world today. It could mean places in the world were hit by six simultaneous climate disasters at once, hundreds of millions of climate refugees, a global GDP 30% smaller than it would be otherwise. We're really headed towards some terrifying futures. And 
that makes the big question to me seem a little silly because if the science is that alarming, why are we talking about how alarmist we should be? The facts themselves are terrifying. The facts bear that out. Yeah. And um, if you're living in parts of the world like South Asia or the Middle East, it could be even it could be much shorter. Sooner. Yeah. Some of those big cities, Calcutta, for instance, could be unlivably hot as soon as 2050. Something that's closer to home for Americans, and it's certainly more recently closer to home, is wildfires. And what we saw in California um, just last year, and this and the devastating wildfires, both in Northern California and in Southern California. I mean, I grew up with this. I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents were news reporters, and we would we would fly over these wildfires. I saw Malibu burn down multiple times just as a child. And you write in your book that it's going to get a lot worse. Yeah, at the end of the century, if we stay on the trends that we're on, it, wildfires could burn 64 times as much land as they did this past year, which was a record-breaking year where more than a million acres were burned. Your book is scary. How do you convince people to, to read an entire book about an uninhabitable Earth, a scary book about, about the future? It's the future that we're facing if we don't change course. So I think it's essential that everybody understands just how scary it is so that we can avoid that path. And what do you think of uh, the White House now convening a, a panel of scientists in order to, to combat what is the accepted uh, analysis of climate change? It's terrible. Um, it's horrible. It's, you know, morally abhorrent. Even though that you all were saying early on um, that there was no reason not to believe his story, there were, there were a lot of red flags that a lot of people saw. And you all had questions, even though you weren't, of course, going to be public about that. The, the check that uh, we saw in Eva Pilgrim's report, the $3,500, did the brothers specifically say that was for the attack? They said that he paid them $3,500 uh, with a check to uh, But did they say what it was for? Yeah, for, to uh, carry out this incident. Mm -hmm. Also in the building, I cannot wait. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But first, let's talk. This week was rough. Uh, people on both sides of the political divide saw a few of their nightmares come true uh, this week. And we should try to learn something from this. Look, uh, on both sides, uh, left and right, people have power, just in different ways, different places. The right wing has power at the top of our government, mainly in the White House. And liberals' big fear is that Trump will recklessly abuse his power and his influence and put vulnerable people at risk. On the left, we got power, too, at the top of our culture, places like Hollywood, you know, university, social movements like Black Lives Matter. And the conservatives are afraid that we're going to recklessly abuse our power and unfairly brand and treat them. Well, congratulations, America. Both nightmares came true this week, okay? Uh, and you can see the danger now of all this overheated rhetoric and people rushing to judgment on both sides. On the one hand, cops arrested a Coast Guard officer who they describe as a white nationalist. Now, authorities say he was stockpiling weapons. Uh, he planned to have a massive attack against civilians. And the hit list of people he wanted to kill included Democratic lawmakers like Nancy Pelosi, uh, Maxine Waters, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And apparently he also wanted to kill TV hosts at MSNBC and even right here at CNN. It's the second time in less than six months that journalists and critics of the president have become targets of potential violence on a huge scale. And that is terrifying. Now, look. Obviously, there's other factors at play, but you cannot fully discount the heated words coming from the highest office in the land. When the head of the U.S. military, the commander-in-chief, calls himself a nationalist and calls the media the true enemy of the people, somebody in uniform, 
might take him seriously. And the consequences could be horrific. So in addition to all the bad policies attacking immigrants and transgender people, this is exactly the kind of stuff that liberals worry about, that Trump might be aiding or abetting the spread of, of hatred and right-wing extremism. Mr. President, please be more careful. At the same time, many of us, and especially some conservatives, are shaking their heads in disgust at the conduct of a Hollywood actor and activist. Chicago police say that Jesse Smollett, quote-unquote, took advantage of the pain and anger of racism and staged a hoax attack on himself to get a pay raise. Okay, now there's a lot that's wrong here. First of all, this is a tragic fall of an icon. You know, Smollett's rise to fame as a black gay character, it was historic. It helped to push back on homophobia in the black community. If the police account is accurate, and they got a lot of evidence now, Smollett has betrayed millions of people who looked up to him and needed him to be that icon. And also given the rise of hate crimes, uh, this hoax actually hurts real victims, and that's totally unfair. But it's not just about blaming Smollett. We got to look in the mirror. Two white men spearing uh, spewing racial epithets with a lynching rope, uh, screaming, this is MAGA country. Were we a little bit too willing to rush to judgment and assume the worst about Trump supporters? Is that fair? And also the people who question the story, they got called racist and homophobes too, just for being skeptical. Have we created now a world where people cannot question a claim of bias without being called bigots themselves? That's not good. So progressives, please be more careful. I say this because we've got another political firestorm on the way. Almost two years, 34 people charged, seven guilty pleas, hours of cable TV analysis, uh, 25 million bucks, and 166 tweets from Trump calling it a witch, hunt, a witch hunt. It looks like we finally have the Mueller probe coming to an end. So please be careful because I predict a whole bunch of confusion, more partisan spin from people who haven't even read the report, which is exactly what we don't need. Before you've even had a chance to read whatever they release, you're going to have a thousand posts on your social media feeds either claiming that Trump has been fully cleared or saying lock him up, depending on whatever camp you're in. Slow down. Be vigilant. Focus on facts, not spin. And think twice before you click that share button. Because America's enemies now know how to weaponize information and push your buttons. You can't just blame Trump or blame Hollywood celebrities or blame Facebook. We are doing the dirty work ourselves when we jump on these digital bandwagons, rush to judgment, and share uh, inflammatory posts without any investigation. The bots are bad enough. Let's not become bots for the bots. Now, if there is anybody. That's Robin Roberts and Van Jones. There were red flags, Robin Roberts says. Couldn't tell it in your interview. And Van Jones, don't jump on the digital bandwagon. And then Todd, the damn regret not impeaching? Really? And Tur Scarin once again for climate change. Eric Holder starts her out on the tweets, a good reform measure to support change electoral college. That is a fucking attorney general remarking on Colorado's unconstitutional thing. Remember, they all take a vow to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. But you're for destroying the Constitution. Okay, sounds good. The Guardian, Jesse Smollett's story shows how intolerant of victims we really are. Still going. I didn't do a section on it, but it's just still going. PETA, 
Steve Irwin was killed while harassing a ray. He dangled his baby while feeding a crocodile and wrestled wild animals who were minding their own business. Today, Google Doodle sends a dangerous, fawning message. Wild animals are entitled to be left alone in their natural habitat. Are you fucking... It was his fucking birthday! Mm. And then a surprise from the Hill. Who's who of the Trump-Russia collusion... Collapse red carpet. Keith Oberman, Chris Hayes, Anna Navarro, Seth Abramson, Carl Bernstein, Rachel Maddow, Chunk Unger. Those are all people they dog. I was shocked. When I saw it, I thought it was from Breitbart, but it wasn't. Then, which is why the California Dem is in New Hampshire. Here is Eric Solwell thinking about running for president, because God knows we need a 31st person running. And he was doing a live broadcast. Paul LeBlanc from CNN. Eric Solwell is answering questions on Facebook Live while driving around New Hampshire for an audience that has yet to reach 30 concurrent concurrent viewers. When you get dogged by a liberal CNN person, you're probably fucking pretty in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. I'm saying this is a journalist. Molly Ethelay. I'm fucking up by the numbers. I'm saying this is a journalist who has been assaulted and detained for her work and not because I want to argue with anyone over Venezuela. Remember that Trump and George Ramos thrown out of a news conference also because he didn't like his questions. Authoritarians hate journalists. That was a huge theme because George Ramos got fucking locked up in Venezuela for filming people eating garbage out of garbage trucks. And they wanted to say, well, Trump's the same. Wow, getting thrown out and getting detained. Huge stretch. I hope you stretched before the stretch because you could pull a muscle doing that. Wake Forest students demand Dean be fired for standing in front of Confederate flag in 1892. We now have about 10 different ones of WSMV. They just have an intern running around looking for people that had pictures next to a Confederate flag. A Confederate flag was in the building. It was in the same zip code. I, Wow. Wow. You, we, we already had the Confederate spring. you got to yank down a bunch of historic statues. Now you want to burn everybody that had a picture around a Confederate flag in the, flag in the South. You're going to have to fucking fire black people because they walk past Confederate flags. So what the fuck, Chuck? Huh? A great article... The trauma room, the trauma floor, the secret lives of Facebook moderators in America. This shows you why these people ban conservatives. They're under pressure to do it. Zoe Daniel, the White House is moving the press filing center for the Vietnam summit for technical reasons. Kim Jong-un is expected to be staying at the hotel where the filing center has to be set up. Jim Acosta, the North Koreans were clearly not happy. The first report out of all reporters is that they got moved because of Trump. It was the Vietnam government, not Trump. He didn't move you. And Zoe Daniels, which I think is a transgender person, here's the reality. If Jim Acosta's not twisting it, you probably shouldn't. Because that's like, if you're more extreme than Jim Acosta, you're really fucked up. Uh, judge, in our tweets of the day section, judge rules men only military draft unconstitutional, and I concur, 100%. You want equality, 
Sign up for the draft, motherfucker. Silenced 113 cases of Twitter censoring everything but the left. We have uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Marsha Blackburn, <clears throat> Ronald McDaniel, Live Action, Charlotte Fiend, Devin Cena. Two more Twitter accounts have been suspended for tweeting about videos about Planned Parenthood. Meanwhile, promoted tweets for female generation mutilation are okay. James Wood, Michael Knowles, Covington Catholic High School. Twitter uh, staunchly defended its transgender politics. In November 2018, the company updated its policy for dead naming. LifeSite News was suspended. Uh, PJ Media, Jim Tretcher was suspended. Uh, Megan Murphy's been suspended. She's a liberal. Mike Pence was shadow banned. Alex Jones, Laura Loomer, James O'Keefe. Farrakhan's not, but there's a whole bunch of other people. Tucker Carlson was banned for a while. Ted Cruz was. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's just unbelievable. It's right only. Right only. It's only right. It's never the left. Other than that one activist that we featured on the show who's a feminist and has the balls to say the words you're not supposed to say. So our tweet of the day soundbite is Greg Gutfeld in a funny skit about how the media makes up fake news stories and how they go through the process of having to eat crow. Then we're going to go into a music break. Got to have some Kanye for our theme today of auto-tuned. And then we're going straight in and do some social media nuggets. College crazy. No military corner today. Because it's pretty heavy on sound bites, and it's going to be awesome as we go through gaycation and gender revolution. The media owns this story. It's like they took a course on it. <laughs> Attention news professionals. Do the traditions of objective reporting bore you? Are you hungry for the profits that come with agenda-driven headlines? Then send your journalists to the Blame, Insinuate, Accuse seminar. Now, I'm going to show you some headlines, and you're going to tell me how you would rewrite them for maximum profit. Okay? Here's the first one. Snowstorm expected to blanket northeast. Uh, whites ski, the rest freeze as snowstorm reveals weather inequality. Nice. All right, here's another one. Midwest man wins Mega Millions jackpot. Oh, man wins lottery. No surprise to the 3.2 billion women didn't win. Snappy. I love it. Sally, you're a natural. All right. How about this one? World War II vet celebrates 95th birthday. Elderly white lifelong Republican voter turns 95 thanks to Russian collusion. Nailed it. All right. Next one. Church youth group holds bake sale for flood victims. Oh, uh, extremists use religion to poison victims with heart-clogging toxins. Yes! Okay, multi-car accident on Toronto freeway. Multi-car accident on Toronto freeway only in Trump's America. House fire in Australia injures seven. House fire in Australia injures seven only in Trump's America. Volcano erupts in Brazil, many injured. Volcano erupts in Brazil, many injured, only in Trump's America? Yes! You all passed with flying colors. I am so proud of you. Now get out there and do some journalism! It's the Blame Insinuate Accused Seminar. Locations everywhere. Call today. 
I just need to clear my mind now. It's been racing since the summertime. Now I'm holding down the summer now. And all I want is what I can't buy now. Cause I ain't got the money on me right now. And I told you to wait. Yeah, I told you to wait. So I'ma need a little more time now. Cause I ain't got the money on me right now. And I thought you could wait. Yeah, I thought you could wait. These bitches surrounding me. Oh, want something now, man. Then they talk about me. Would be lost without me. We could have been somebody. Thought you'd be different about it. Now I know you not it. So let's get on with it. We could have been somebody. Said you had to tell somebody. Let's take it back to the first party. When you tried your first mile, it came out of your body. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. And college crazy. You see, Berkeley culture is especially hostile towards conservative. Just ask Hayden Williams. The Leadership Institute field representative Hayden Williams offered an update Monday on Fox Business Network nearly one week after he was punched in his face. Just wanted to double hit that story because it's hostile. It's just hostile. But it's okay. It's okay to have hate towards conservative, white people, straight people. As we'll see when we get into the meat and potatoes. Unconscious Bias Tour asks students to check their bias 
by signing a communist pledge. Yeah, that's pretty much it. University of North Carolina hosted one of many stops on CEO action for diversity and inclusion. Check your blind spots, unconscious bias tour. The largest CEO-driven business commitment to advance diversity and inclusion within the workplace. A collective collaboration of nearly 600 CEOs have signed the commitment. The act I pledge. I pledge to check my bias, speak up for others, and show up for all. How can you act on the pledge? I will check my own biases and take meaningful action. I will... Sorry, the font is fucking minus four and I don't have my glasses. Initiate meaningful, complex, and sometimes difficult conversations. I will ask myself, do my actions and words reflect on inclusion? I will move move outside my comfort zone and learn about others experiences I will share my insight related to what I have learned what I have learned is I went outside my fucking boundaries by watching Gaycation is wow they project a lot UNL professor allegedly vandalized GOP lawmaker signed fuck campus reform you know why because campus reform is the only organization right now that actually goes out and is reporting on the fucking brainwashing happening. Ivy League students pushed to liberate bathrooms. Conservative students pushed back. We're into the crazy. This was at Princeton. I mean, this gender shit, oh my God. It, it blew up this week. Male runners continue to dominate girl high school track in Connecticut. Two male runners are continuing to dominate high school girls track in Connecticut. High school junior Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood took first and second place in the state open indoor track championship. The AP noted in a report Sunday, both Miller and Yearwood are biological males who identify as women but have done nothing. All right? No gender blocks. No, no nothing. They're just fucking men. One of the competitors, high school junior Selena Sole, a person of color, told AP it was unfair to force female runners to complete with, compete with males. We all know the outcome of the race before it even starts. It's demoralizing, said Sole. I fully support and happy for these athletes for being true to themselves. That's such a big thing. I talked to my daughter yesterday, and she said, I haven't heard that. I said, you just not are listening. It's live your truth. Be true to yourself. It's the verbiage of the cult of fucking the gay mafia. Live your truth. I'm living my truth. I'm fat and bald. I don't expect you to fucking embrace it. And I wouldn't use my maleness to beat women. Anyway. They should have the rights to express themselves in school. But athletics have always had extra rules to keep competition fair. Miller is the third fastest run in the country in the girls' 55-meter dash. Yearwood is close behind, tied for seventh nationally. Miller and Yearwood's success is just the latest instance of male athletes who identify as transgender expel, excelling in women's sports. A sympathetic segment on ABC Good Morning America in June 2018 described the two runners as dominating the competition at the Outdoor State Championship. In that interview, Miller argued that female runners should work harder rather than complaining about unfairness when forced to compete against males. Further on from an article from the Daily Wire, 
One high jumper could be taller and have longer legs than another, but that other could have perfect form and then do better, Yearwood said. One sprinter could have parents who spend so much money on personal training for their child, which in turn would cause the child to run faster. The NSAF website, in its instruction for outdoor championships in June, has this kind of verbiage. Freshman and junior high school miles are limited to first 30 entries per gender that both meet the entry standard to pay for the entry. Junior high mile is limited to the first 30 entries per gender. Yearwood is, Yearwood is a 17-year-old junior at Cornwall High School. He recently placed second behind another transgender, Terry Miller of Bloomfield, at a race indoors. Miller ran 6.95. Yearwood ran 7.01. And they won other things. Here's the fucking soundbite. Now to a GMA exclusive, two transgender high school runners, well, they're kicking up dust in Connecticut, taking the top spots at the state girls championship, leaving parents wondering if they have an unfair advantage. Lindsay Davis is here, and you sat down with the track stars to talk all about this. That's right, Michael. We're talking about a subject that's so sensitive that Andrea and Terry, who you're about to meet, felt when it was time to tell their parents that they're transgender, they each revealed it by text, and now they have gone public with it, and they're facing opposition from people who say, even though you may feel like a girl, you need to compete against the boys. Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood dominating the competition at the Girls Track and Field Championships in Connecticut earlier this month. Coming in first and second place, respectively. And while it was a state race, their wins are making national headlines. Not because of what they did, but because of who they are two transgender girls. When was the first time that either of you found any kind of opposition to you participating on the girls team? I was expecting it. So every day I'll go home, search up track and field high school, Terry Miller. Because you wanted to know what people were saying. Yeah. Some of those comments were harsh. Critics complaining that Andrea and Terry both have an unfair advantage since they were born boys. At what point do you decide Actually, it's more appropriate for me to be on the girls' team and competing with other girls. I decided that the summer before ninth grade. They've both started hormone therapy and say that for the most part, they've been welcomed by friends, family, coaches, and administrators with open arms. But there is some backlash from parents and students. Two petitions were even started in an attempt to change the current rule of the state's governing body of interscholastic sports. The rule states that students are entitled to participate on a team based on their gender identity, how they identify. The girls athletes are at the physical disadvantage compared to the transgender female. Bianca Stinescu started one of those petitions after her daughter Selena lost to Andrea and Terry at a track meet in May. They have naturally testosterone within their body that has been proven to give a physical advantage in sports. The mom, who was unaware that the girls were already undergoing hormone therapy, has gotten a little over 100 signatures. Medical science tells us that estrogen hormone therapy does change the body, replacing some lean muscle with fat. But of course, everyone is different. Andrea's parents say what's most important to them is the well-being of their child. Track is number 100 on my list of concerns as a father of a transgender daughter. I'm talking about raising a child for a life. And so is it fair that that child is excluded? Is it fair that that child doesn't feel like they have a place to belong? 
it allows her to be who she wants to be, and I think that has a little bit more weight than just winning a medal. The rules vary from state to state. In seven states, including Texas, students must play on the team that matches their birth certificate or have undergone surgery or have had extended hormone therapy, while the NCAA requires the completion of one year of testosterone suppression. Medical research cannot really identify the line where a competitive advantage might exist for trans athletes of either gender. What do you want to say to other transgender youth, young people, teens who are out there really struggling through this process. Just follow your heart. Like, don't let other people determine what you do in life. Let's just play devil's advocate for a moment and just imagine that you were both born girls and then all of a sudden you had uh, two boys who identified as being girls and they said, hey, we're going to be on your team and maybe now you're not performing as well because they are better. I'm not going to discourage you or try to say, oh, it's not fair. And it was just pushed me to run faster. I'd be happy for them because they get to do what they want. They're happy, so then that should in turn make me happy. And they're brave. They're just different exactly. from everybody. And just to be clear, the mother who started the petition says that she would like to see the girl sit out for a year after hormone therapy before competing with other girls. Now, this is spark certainly sparking a lot of debate, and it's something that schools across the country are dealing with because an estimated 150,000 teens in this country identify as transgender. And you know, it's a very interesting argument on both sides. You can see compelling argument on both. Definitely. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. Work harder. They know exactly what they're doing. It's just to push the boundary. NBC News. Across the U.S., transgender athletes are breaking barriers in high school, college, and pro sports and being embraced by teammates and fans. But resentment can still flare when transgender women start winning, winning and dominating their sport. Ben Shapiro. Breaking barriers equals biological men competing against women in women's sports. Feminists. How's it going? It's unfair. It should not be happening. But you can't break through this cult. Said it before. Progressivism is a religion. Their New Testament is LGBT climate change. They're like Psalms and Proverbs. And you have nothing but this kind of reporting... On it. This is Katie Couric. This is from 2016 or 17. It popped up on our TV. We watched it. And by the end of it, both of us, me and the wife, were like, what the fuck? It used to be so simple. You were a boy or you were a girl. But that was then. This, the next battleground, transgender rights, is now. Born both a boy and a girl. As we find ourselves in the midst of a gender revolution. She's like, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl in my heart and my brain. There are areas in the brain that correlate with gender identity. When Ellie, who yeah. was then your son, said that, is that a little scary? And then the doctor came over and said, well, sometimes babies are not quite a girl and not quite a boy. She would need surgery. These are human rights violations on intersex kids' bodies. 
some evidence that seems to show trans brains are in fact different. And I use he, him, his. I use they, them, their. I am plural. This is not just one individual, but a whole group of kids. At times, do you feel like, whoa, 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 it's too fast, it's, all, it's making me dizzy? What about your mom and dad? Do they call you Brian now? They call me D. Do you wish they'd call you Brian? Yes. A lot of us don't even have the strength to report a crime. Well, I want to empower other women like us. Your case is going to be heard before the Supreme Court. I'm looking for the same opportunities that my peers enjoy every single day, and that includes using the same restroom. I said, goodbye, Bill, and she became Kate. If you love someone, you're willing to do what it takes. There are people in these societies, they recognize more than two genders. More complicated than we've assumed. Now, this was like everything Katie Couric does, and I want us to rewind the tape to her fantastic, groundbreaking, earth shattering 2A anti-gun documentary let me ask you another question if there are no background checks for gun purchasers how do you prevent felons or terrorists from purchasing a gun if there are no background checks how do you prevent, I know how you all are going to answer this, but I'm asking anyway. If there are no background checks for gun purchasers, how do you prevent felons or terrorists from walking into, say, a licensed gun dealer and purchasing a gun? Well, one, if, if you're not in jail, you should still have your basic rights and you should go buy a gun. So if you're uh, a terrorist so or a felon? If you're, if you're a felon and you've done your time, you should have your rights. Well, the fact is we do have statutes, both at the federal and state level, that prohibit classes of people from being in possession of firearms. If you're under 18 in Virginia, you can't walk around with a gun. If you're an illegal immigrant, if you're uh, a convicted felon, um, if you've been adjudicated insane, uh, these things are already illegal. So what we're really asking about is a question of prior restraint. How can we prevent future crime by identifying bad guys before they do anything bad? And the simple answer is you can't. And particularly under the legal system we have in the United States, there are a lot of Supreme Court opinions that say, no, prior, prior restraint is something that the, the government does not have the authority to do. Until there is an overt act that allows us to say, that's a bad guy, then you can't punish him. I would take another um, outlook on this. First, I'll ask you what crime or what law has ever stopped a crime? Tell me one law that has ever stopped a crime from happening. Well, some would argue since the Brady Bill was enacted, you know, people who have an opposing point of view, two million guns have been kept 
from the hands of criminals. But what's, who's to say that that person that was denied a background check didn't go out and buy or steal a gun? Well, Sorry. perhaps it made it more Somewhere difficult, else. and who knows? That's sort of a hypothetical. Okay. Um, so, but I think so, that that's that's a law that kept guns uh, from getting into the hands of wrong uh, if, people who should not own guns, according to people who support the Brady Bill. If that were the case, we would have seen a significant reduction in crime with the reduction of sales of guns to people. Or what, we would have what? seen a, a, a smaller increase, and that, again, is hard to measure. It I is. tell people all but, the time, if you go to Prince George's County, Maryland, I mean, it must be the safest place on earth because they have tremendous gun control. But in fact, it's, it's practically it the murder capital of the country. Uh, it's because people who have, um, who otherwise law-abiding, self-reliant folks are prohibited from being able to defend themselves, and the people who want to kill them are not. So, like Chicago. back to the point like that Chicago. I was getting to in a roundabout way. Um, if someone wants to commit murder, and even if they are prevented from getting a gun to commit that murder with, it doesn't necessarily stop them from committing murder. And the murder is already against the law. The tool that they use may change. But if they are bound and determined to break a law, commit murder, commit robbery, break into somebody's house, whatever it is that they're going to do, then the law is not stopping them. It is just giving an avenue to punish them if and when they are caught. Remember that? Well, th this was very similar. They did cover the Virginia School Board halts transgender bathroom policy. That video that didn't really go viral is pretty serious. People are just saying, no. No. But this kid was already getting his training from GLAAD. By the time she did the interview, he is polished. He. Her. Whatever. I don't even know what he started out as. He looks like a boy to begin with. But I guess he was a girl. And his first speech to the speech she gave, which was like a year, six months later, every fucking colloquial you have, he was spitting it out. Which is the deal. The deal is the community gets these people, the LGBT mafia, and, and by that, once again, people knew the show, I'm not anti-LGBT. I don't give a fuck if you want to fuck a goat, if you want to be a goat. I don't give a fuck. But that mafia goes after people to ruin them. The whole, well, I'll wait for This Is America segment. It's just Ellen Page proving what this is about. But they train these people. They come in. They they just take over their lives and teach them how to do it. And they polish them. He, was, he or her was a frumpy dude, dudette, and now, oh, skinnier face, everything looks great, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's a, like a total turn, turnaround, because they were using this person in that huge argument about, I should let anybody take a dump next to my grandchild, which, even my liberal daughter says no, no, and she's super liberal, they never talked about any pushback they didn't talk about the 80% recidivism. They didn't talk about what blockers do. They just threw this shit out 
with brain, I mean, just brainwashed doctors. There was no opposing view. And the whole time, Katie Couric pretended like she didn't know what was down. And it's like, come on, Katie. You're a fucking uber lib. Your life's work was to destroy a female running for president with an R behind her name. You said that. You're a liberal. You know all this shit. But you didn't report stuff like this. Newsweek. Transgender surgery regret rates highest in male to female. Gender confirmation surgery is a name given to procedures that change the physical appearance, blah, 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 increased by 20% in 2015 to 16. With more than 3,000 such operations performed last year, rates are also increasing worldwide. Now at least one surgeon is reporting the trend of regret. Urologist Mursalov Dzvorkez, who specializes in gender reassignment, has seen an increase in reversal. In the past five years, Dvorka performed seven reversals per clinic per year. But he's only doing like 50 surgeries. And that's one hospital. Then, you didn't report this. I'm a pediatrician. How transgender ideology has infiltrated my field and produced large-scale child abuse. Michelle Cretella from 2017. Transgender politics has taken America by surprise and caught some lawmakers off guard. Just a few short years ago, not many could have imagined a high-profile showdown over transgender men and women access to single bathroom in North Carolina. But transgender ideology is not just infecting our law, it's intruding to the lives of the most innocent among us children. And with the apparent growing support of the professional medical community, as explained in my 2016 peer-reviewed article, Gender Dysphoria and Children and Suppression of Debate, professionals who dare to question the unscientific party line of supporting gender transition therapy will find themselves maligned and out of a job. I speak as someone intimately familiar with the pediatrics and behavioral health communities and their practices. I'm a mother of four who served 17 years as a board-certified general pediatrician with a focus in child behavior health to leaving clinical practice in 2012. For the past 12 years, I've been a board member and researcher for the American College of Pediatrics, and for the last three years, I've served as a president. I also sat on the board of directors for the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice and Scientific Integrity for 2010 to 2015. This organization of physicians and mental health professionals defend the rights of patients to receive psychotherapy for sexual identity conflicts that is in line with their deeply held values based upon science and medical ethics. I have witnessed the upending of the medical consensus on the nature of gender identity. What doctors once treated as a mental illness, the medical community now largely affirms and promotes as normal. The new normal. Pediatric gender clinics are considered elite centers for affirming children who are distressed by their biological sex. This distressful condition, once dumbed gender identities for, is renamed gender dysphoria in 2013. In 14, there were 24 of these gender clinics. In 1540, 250 pediatric residency programs as of the time she wrote this. The transition-affirming protocol tells parents to treat their children as a gender they desire and to place them on puberty blockers around 11 to 16. 
If by age 16 the children still insist that they are trapped in the wrong body, they're placed on cross-sex hormones and biological girls may obtain a double mastectomy, so-called bottom surgeries, or general reassignments don't happen until 18. There are exceptions for this movement, however, in the addition to the American College of Pediatrics and the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice. These include the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the Christian Medical Dental Association, the Catholic Medical Association, and the LGBT-affirming youth gender professionals. The transgender movement has gained legs in the medical community and in our culture by offering a deeply flawed narrative. The scientific scientific research and facts tell a different story. The twin studies prove no one is born trapped in the body of the wrong sex. We already covered this. Gender identity is malleable, especially in young children. Even the American Psychological Association Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology admits that prior to this widespread promotion of transition affirmation, 75 to 95% of prepubescent children who were distressed by their biological sex eventually outgrew that distress and were what they are. 75 to 95. Thus me saying 80%. Puberty blockers for gender dysphoria have not been proven safe. I mean, seriously. If right now I walked in the kitchen and started popping my wife's estrogen, that is poison to my body. My body is aligned as a male. You're poisoning your children for PC politics. Four, there are no cases in the scientific literature of gender dysphoric children discontinuing blockers. Most, if not all, children on puberty blockers go on to take cross-sex hormones, estrogen for biological boys, testosterone, blah, blah. The only study to date to have followed prepubescent children who were socially affirmed and placed on blockers at a young age found that 100% of them claim a transgender identity and choose cross-sex hormones. This suggests that the medical protocol itself may lead children to identify as transgender. There is an obvious self-fulfilling effect. We've already proven on the show The GLAD studies never followed. The moment the child didn't report back, they blocked it and they never reported it. Thus, that one from Sweden was huge. Cross-sex hormones are associated with dangerous health risk and suicide. Neuroscience shows that adolescents lack the adult capacity needed for risk assessment. There's no proof that affirmation prevents suicide in children. I mean, there's just no proof. Transition-affirming protocols have not solved the problem of transgender suicide. Bottom line, transition-affirming protocol is child abuse. The crux of the matter is that while the transition-affirming movement purports to help children, it is inflicting a grave injustice on them and their non-dysphoric peers. These professionals are using the myth that people are born transgender to justify engaging in a massive, uncontrolled, and unconsented experimentation on children of psychologically conditions that would otherwise resolve after puberty in the vast majority of cases. Today's institutions that promote transition affirmation are pushing children to impersonate the opposite sex, sending many of them down the path of puberty blockers, sterilization, the removal of healthy body parts, and untold psychological damage. 
these harms continue constitute excuse me nothing less than institutionalized child abuse sound ethics demand an immediate end to the use of pubescent suppression cross-sex hormones and sex reassignment surgeries in children and adolescents as well as an end to promoting gender ideology via school curricula and legislative policies it is time for our nation's leaders and the silent majority of health professionals to learn exactly what is happening to our children this is like number seven thousand in three years of a podcast Katie Carrick used a three-year-old girl that the parents were all in. And when they interviewed the doctors, it was not medical. It was ideological. At no time did they push, are you sure about this? You are a girl. That's what they told the boy. You are a girl. They, They were affirming. And why is that? Is it because all scientists have no integrity? No. The mafia. The about as we're going to gay gay vacation or gaycation. They don't want to deal with the Ellen Pages of the world. If they come out and say scientifically, this should wait until they're old enough. Scientifically, 80% will go back to their original sex and now we sterilized them. Scientifically, the puberty and cross-sex hormones are making them suicidal. Not Mike Pence. That institution is fucked. And they don't want to deal with it. That's why everybody just went with it. They're attacked. They're assaulted. They're boycotted. That was their game. The game wasn't to spread to get their rights. What rights are they missing? Nothing. As we'll see. Nothing. They are getting retribution on people. You're a denier. You're a homophobe. You're a fucking transphobe. We're going to punish you for not embracing our lifestyle. So these these churches of progressivism that are supposed to be medical clinics, one of them bragged, we got really ahead of this. Because they went in a boardroom and said, okay, I'm not getting sued. Let's get a bunch of goddamn glad doctors up here that are just going to push diatribe on children. We'll convince them they're kids. We'll do all the surgeries in the womb if we have to. And we'll make this shit work. And then you have gaycation going all over the world. And all of a sudden, and nobody admits on the show, well, gays really aren't that persecuted in America. I'm on a journey to explore what it means to be lesbian, gay, bi, or trans all around the world. If you think that you live in a part of the world where there aren't gay people, you're wrong. And I'm bringing my best friend Ian with me. This is the one. The funny part of this is Ian's more comfortable in a dress than I am. We want to join the celebration. We're at the first Pride event that they're having in Jamaica. Document the struggles. People will hurt you and yell. Feel the love and the hate. There's a disorder in you. And I am not going to buy into that it is not a disorder. And bring home every human story we encounter along the way. A lot of people think I'm trans. And I said, no, I'm not transgender. I'm just me. I'm just Steven. Actress 
Ellen Page went head-to-head with Ted Cruz at the Iowa State Fair Friday. LGBT people can be fired for just being gay or for just being trans. That just doesn't sound very American to me. This is my first time in the gay district of Tokyo, because in the past I was too closeted to come to the gay area. Here we are in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and despite seeming like a place that is sexually open, the issues that LGBT people face can be really horrific. Being gay is not a choice. The amount of people that struggle so much because of the shame they feel or the fear of being oppressed or hurt or killed. Why would someone make that choice? Why would someone make that choice? It's about people being able to live, not just exist. This is our vacation. They go to countries that really do fuck people up and kill them and murder them and throw them. They didn't go to any of the places in Europe, or I mean, in, in Middle East, because they didn't want to fuck with that shit. And by the end of the second season, and then I guess the show went off the air, they did a trip to the Deep South. The funny thing is, is they went into New York area, and that's where they found an actual murder that when I researched wasn't a murder. It was a murder, but it wasn't a trans murder. The girl, which was a guy, had lied to a guy, and he freaked out and killed her, which, you know, is is wrong. I'm I'm not justifying the murder. But when the person found out that, that she was a he... He killed her. And then he committed suicide. That's the crime they pushed, but it was in New York. When they went to the Deep South, they went to Texas, which is you're about to hear. They went to Louisiana. They went to Mississippi. And they went to fucking Atlanta. And the only place they found real violence was Atlanta. Atlanta. And they showed a guy that they never really talked about the crime. Wasn't a hate crime. It was a crime with a black man burned her, this girl he was dating, they were breaking up and he burned her son. So it could have been a hate crime because he was a tranny. I don't know. But they never really said this was a crime, a hate crime. They just showed this one victim. And they went into Atlanta and they have a whole police task force because at the same time they hate, they hate the police. So they're trying to get them to report crimes because as you'll, you know, as we'll talk about, they project that they can't. Pro- oh, they don't. They don't care about us, because it's really hard when you're a liberal and you hate the police, and then you have a hate crime that you think's a hate crime or just a crime committed against you, and you don't report it because you don't trust the police. Is that you or the police? I don't know because it's really fucking confusing for me. But I don't know. So I'm gonna play the cruise that went viral, and you hear Biden run his cock trap, and then I'm gonna play the Deep South, where the first person they met was an African-American gun-owning man in Texas. And they just didn't get what they wanted. Religious liberty laws have been key in the backlash to the Supreme Court's marriage equality decision. And now I'm going to ask Senator Cruz about his position on them. Uh, hey. Hey, Senator. I was wondering if I could ask you a question about the religious liberty rally. Um, I think uh, a lot of 
people, particularly like in the LGBT community, are worried just because in the past during segregation era or when women were trying to, you know, get the right to vote, religious liberty was often used to defend and justify that discrimination. So a lot of people in the LGBT community just have this fear due to the past examples that that's what's going to happen. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up that example. If you actually look at the history in this country of defeating slavery, mm -hmm. if you look at the history of defeating Jim Crow, mm -hmm. there's leaders in the church that played a critical role. But a lot of religious people also used the Bible to defend segregation, to defend slavery. So, well, well, I'm, so I'm just saying, like, I think religious freedom is so important. It's so crucial for all religions. LGBT people are worried that they will directly be discriminated against and but, but you know. we don't have a right to force anyone to abandon their faith. It is one of the foundational commitments of who we are as Americans to respect diversity. Sure, but for example, still in a lot of states, LGBT people can be fired for just being gay or for just being trans. Um, that's totally legal. I mean, how do you feel about that? That just doesn't sound very American to me. Well, well we're saying Bible-believing Christians being persecuted. So, for example, yeah, one of the couples... discriminating against LGBT people. No, for living according to their faith. So, for example... Yeah, but you, that people would have right, used I, that I, argument in segregation era. I, I, I'm happy to answer your question, okay, but go, not to have a back-and-forth debate. Go for it, yeah. So, we are a country that respects pluralism and diversity, and there is this liberal intolerance that says that anyone that dares follow a biblical teaching of marriage, that is the union of one man and one woman, must be persecuted, must be fined. I, I disagree. I think there's just more tolerance for LGBT people who have constantly been persecuted in this country. It used to be illegal. They were thrown in jail. Who's been thrown in jail? Gay people used to be thrown in jail when well, it was illegal know, it, in this country. It, it, it is interesting right now. Do you know where gay people are being persecuted right now? ISIS. All over the world. Is, but All ISIS over the world. is executing gay people. Iran is executing homosexuals. Yes. And on the left, you hear complete silence. That's not true. Christians that is in Russia, wrong. Christians in Uganda, Christians in Jamaica, all persecuting uh, gays to a really, really violent extent. And why does the Obama administration not stand against it? I don't know. I would love to talk to Obama about it. That'd be great. Well, good. Then we're agreed on that. Thank no, you, ma'am. Well, we're not. Don't do that. We're, we're agreed on Ma'am, we've had a, a, a long discussion. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. So. Great questions. Thanks, ma'am. Wow, that worked out real well. Good work. I kind of killed it, right? Yeah, you had, I was like, she's got to keep this together. I did, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. It's going to be all over the internet. Oh, shit. It's going to be all over the internet. I didn't even think about that when it was happening. Oops. Ellen Page went head-to-head -head with Ted Cruz at the Iowa State Fair. Page says the Republican presidential candidate discriminates against the LGBT community. Turns out we did create a bit of a ruckus. By the way, Ellen, you won that debate at the Iowa State Fair. Challenge his traditions of God, guns, and Southern glory. These Republican strongholds have created some of the most anti-LGBTQ legislation the country has seen. But yet, the South has a higher population of LGBTQ people than any other region in the nation. So on this road trip, I want to talk to as many people as I can to understand the LGBTQ experience here and find out what it means to be Southern and queer. I'm starting my trip in Texas, the biggest state in the Deep South. And I've come to Austin to meet someone who considers himself quintessentially Southern. Hey Ian, how you doing, sir? 
I'm pretty I'm hot as hell. What? Well, welcome to Austin, Texas. Yeah. Michael Cargill is pro-gun, pro-God, conservative, and a proud gay man. Well, today we're going to do some shooting. We're actually going to teach you how to shoot. These are your friends? Yeah, a group of friends that I drink with, uh, have fun with. We actually get a chance to come out and go shoot. A lot of them are in the you know, the gay community, so it's all about LGBT rights and being able to defend ourselves and being proficient with our firearms. How you feel? I get a little nervous, to be honest. Are you? I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, I know what it is. Yeah, it's good. Slide that sucker in there. There you go. Now I want you to take this hand. I want you to pull it back on this slide and let it go. Pull back hard. Do one shot. Just pull my old Gets your blood pumping, let me tell you. We're gonna run for it. You guys wanna run for it? I think we should run for it. To the vehicle. To the vehicles! Run for it! What does it mean to you to be southern or to be from the south? Hmm. Wow. <sighs> well, it's, it's Texas, you know, there's nothing like Texas, the Lone Star State, right. you know, where we can carry a gun inside the Texas State Capitol. We can testify before a state representative about something that we're passionate about at the Texas House. That is about being a Texan. That's about being from the South. You've had a full experience of being gay in the South. And what, what's that been like? We're in Austin. We can do whatever we want to do here. Most of the people here are liberal. I'm conservative. You know, it's hard for me. It's very hard because I am that gay black you know, Republican. And so where did your conservative values come from? Is that from your upbringing? That comes from just being in the situation that I've been in and, mm -hmm. and living the life that I've lived, uh, served in the military, uh, owning my own company. I like the conservative values. There are a lot of things about the conservatives I do not like, mm -hmm. but there are a lot more things that I like than I dislike. How do you feel then about laws against LGBT people, discrimination laws, religious liberty laws that are happening in our country, which are being pushed upon uh, states and cities by Republicans mainly. I totally disagree 100%. Right. I'm not going to allow you to come into my bedroom. Stay out of my bedroom, you know, and <laughs> that's just the bottom line. You're you're in a loving relationship. I met your partner and you're very cute together. It's a cute <laughs> couple. Okay, I'm not going to deny. But, you know, what if you wanted to get married and then you vote Republican and then that right is stripped away from you? What do you say to that? Because a gun's not going to help you in that scenario. And then I have to be fair because he's actually a liberal, so right. he's, he's actually You're, a Democrat. Wow. So we actually we argue about this. I'm at sure home. there are a lot of arguments. <laughs> I'm feeling that argument. Oh, yeah. Tension. So, yeah. yeah. So we do argue at home. So okay. we, it's it's a. And healthy... What do you argue about? Oh, it's about a... that mainly, or yes, who you're going to vote for? You know, no, we shouldn't do this, or we should do that. So. We can agree to disagree on a lot of things without being disagreeable. And also we can make sure that this country does the right thing by making sure that our elected officials do the things they need to do. Mm -hmm. And they don't go far to the right or too far to the left. Right. That is up to you. That is up to me to make sure that we do do that. I have more to say on this, but I'm going to wait till our This Is America because I have the perfect soundbite from the show that sums up what I got from two seasons of Gaycation. More craziness. Couple sue Planned Parenthood for child support after failed abortion. That's a real fucking thing. Yeah. Charcoal mask now considered blackface. Yeah. I'm not reading the tweets. It's all Black Lives Matter people. Dolly Parton on sexual politics. I probably hit on some people myself. <laughs> I love that lady. It's cool to spool again. A cassette return on a wave of nostalgia. They're starting to sell songs on cassette tapes. And I thought, well, that's fucking amazing. 
That would be really cool. Even though I have, a, I have all these tapes I made for the kids wherever I was in the world, but I don't have a cassette player anymore. The strangest world records of all time. Another one of those stupid things you get. You got to flip a million times. A uh, thousand and ten bikini-clad women was the most people for a swimsuit. In their attempt to break the Guinness World Record for the biggest barbecue, 30,000 people grilled 13,713 kilos of beef. That's a lot of beef. Chris, the Duchess Walton, holds the Guinness World Record for longest fingernails. And then I stopped after that because I got sick of flipping. Hidden plague, disease X, predicted to kill millions of healthy people. It doesn't exist, but scientists scientists are really worried about it. That's an article, and I just thought it was funny. What the fuck? Okay, it doesn't exist. Yeah, there's probably a disease going to come that's going to be worse than the plague, but why are you writing about it? And then I watch this weird thing. I watch independent LEDs on PBS. And yes, I dog PBS a lot, the news section. But I don't dog the rest of it because I really, you know, I am a Tennessee Crossroad supporter. I have a hat. A, a glass and a t-shirt I wear. I love that show. And I love independent le- le- lens. I watch Lawrence Welk during the holidays because that's what we watched as a kid. And sometimes I watch great performances because sometimes it's really good, like the jazz um, that I talked about on the show. But they had one about China, and it was really sad. It was Yai- YY, which is kind of like... It's a cam chat. I'm sure we have something like it, but I can't really say what it is. But you go online and, well, other than porn, okay, there's porn chat rooms. Everybody's seen the ads. But this is not porn, and it's like huge business. Um, China's digitized abyss, YY, on the void of online fame. These people, and there's the five most popular. Uh, Kia KK has 185,000 dedicated viewers. Lee Gee has 185,000. Mon Wan, 132,000. Picasso, 126. Lee Zhang Yang, 83,000. They do these crazy competitions where people are bidding and you win cars. And, and there are people spending all their money on this. And they showed from the poorest people to rich people that get these enterprises and cartels put together and they support these people to win these prizes and they'll spend millions of dollars on this. Everybody in the country is addicted. They're all doing it on phones. It was unbelievable. It is like their American Idol. And if you get the chance to watch it, um, it's Independent Lens on PBS and it's about China's... I don't remember the name of the show. I suck. I should have grabbed it, but it just recorded automatically. And it's about YY, and it was kind of sad. It's their version of internet zombies. I mean, they all live online. There was adults. There were kids. They're just addicted. And every night, they go online, and they listen to these celebrities talk, and they're just normal people that have become internet fame. You know, I'm a dumbass. YouTube. Yeah, but it's live. There it is. Uh, there was the analogy I was looking for. It's like YouTube. People have their channels, but it's live. It's instantaneous. So we're going to go into our lighter fare. Um, and then our This is America. What are we going to do today? Um, Zachary in Tennessee sent me this PETA-themed 
comedy. Enjoy. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying to come up with some video ideas for a sketch about PETA. You see, I'm trying to think of some things completely made up that are so insane, so crazy, that PETA would never, ever do so I could make fun of them in a sketch. Cool. What ideas do you have? Okay, so what if PETA came out and said that drinking milk was a form of white supremacy? Okay. Now, what if PETA condemned Pokemon and suggested that it was virtual animal abuse? Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What if PETA went to a town in Texas called Turkey, Texas, and tried to publicly shame them into changing their town name to Tofurky, Texas? All right. Ah, no, wait. Now, what if PETA protesters showed up at a dog show in Westminster dressed as KKK members, calling members of the dog show KKK members themselves? Okay. Ah, shut up. Now, what if PETA sued a photographer on behalf of a monkey because the photographer took a picture of the monkey and PETA insisted that the monkey was the copyright holder of the photo. What else? Yeah, uh, that's enough. Now, what if PETA publicly made an ad campaign that was making fun of a shark attack victim that said payback is hell after he was bitten by a shark? Wait, I got it. Now, what if on the beloved late Steve Irwin's birthday, PETA publicly tweeted shitting on Steve himself? Mm. No, I got it. And this one is so crazy that it would clearly never happen. I'm just spitballing here. But what if in 2014, PETA was responsible for killing 2,324 of the 2,626 animals that it acquired, resulting in a 1% adoption rate? Now, again, that's just crazy. I'm just spitballing here. But, but Gus, don't you know that all these things actually happened? What? They're true? Do you even know how to end this video? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's pretty succinct. Vox, knitters are having difficult but necessary conversation about racism in the community. And I guess this is from 2019. Social media also makes pointing out racism easier than ever. For weeks, POC knitters have used Instagram and specifically Instagram stories to share their observation, tag other knitters, and conduct polls about others' experience with racism in the community. I'm not going to read the rest of the article. It is uh, summed up by this tweet. Racism and the polls card knitting community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was funny. And if my daughter's listening, don't get offended. We used to joke. All of a sudden she became uber liberal. And I, I joked one day, is it the knitting? Does knitting make you like super liberal? And here's a story about it, which is kind of funny. So now we're going to go into our This is America and then I'm going to rant. Just rant, rant, rant. This is Ellen Page. It's a short soundbite. But it sums up what I've been saying and what I've felt in my heart for a very long time. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they 
This is America in 2019. I feel like I felt angry all day. And yeah. I feel like I felt angry all day because we were just in Iowa and we were surrounded by like so much homophobia. I don't have time for some conservative dude who's running for president spewing his shit, which is responsible for this. It just is. You can't tell me that it's not. You know, you have so much, you have so much influence. And you are perpetuating a society that is homophobic, that is transphobic. At that point, you don't want to hear about religious liberty. You don't give a shit. I don't give a shit that you got your business shut down because you will not let gay people have a wedding yeah. at your venue. You just don't, like, who gives a f really? Don't I mean, discriminate towards people. Yeah. Don't. It's like, just don't do it. And don't, do not say that gay people are now the bigots because we want equal rights. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Can we please move past this? It just, you, you, I really just find myself going like, what is wrong with people? Did you feel the hate and bigotry towards Christians? I did through the entire show, all two seasons. It makes her rant against pants makes so much sense to me. Either somewhere in her life she was judged, which I highly doubt, or that's the projection within her of what she thinks of people who will not embrace her lifestyle. In the show, they had lesbians that work at their church and are embraced by churches. They just don't do the weddings. I've always felt the gay mafia, like Ellen Page, are projecting and trying to get retribution against people they perceived didn't like them. They perceived, judged their love, their truth, whatever colloquial you want to use. It's not based on reality, but the flip to your script is there are Christian people in the country, Muslim people, gay people, who don't believe in homosexuality. They don't embrace it. They don't think it's moral. They don't say anything to you. They don't judge you. But they do talk to their congressmen because as you and your mafia go out to get the bakers that are Christians or this organization that's Christian and force them and push retribution on them and get them boycotted, the other side's going to do loss. It's a simple analogy. We're doing it right now. New York, Vermont, and all these other super liberal states are doing live birth abortion bills because they think Roe v. Wade's going to get taken off. See, there's a lot of that on the left. You think, you perceive, worst case scenario about your fellow Americans, so you act. The religious anti-discrimination laws were based on actual actions that, oh, by the way, the Supreme Court backed up that have gone too far into the hate crimes. 
Here's the problem with hate crimes. You, Ellen Page, wouldn't be for a hate crime that a person with the manga hat gets killed. You would not be for a hate crime the time I rolled up on a BLM protest and they tried to yank me out of my goddamn car. You would not be for a heterosexual being killed by a gay person. You would not be for a white person being killed by a Latina. You would not be for a um, female at an anti-abortion rally getting beaten up by Antifa. You don't see that as hate. You see that as morally justified. For the record, if somebody goes and kills somebody because they're trans, if somebody goes and kills somebody because they're gay, that is wrong. That is immoral. That is hate. But the problem with hate crimes, it's not about the crime. It's about getting back retribution at the people that you perceive don't embrace your lifestyle. And it only goes one way. One way. All murder is hate. All physical violence is hate. That's why people are against the hate crimes. It's not because we want gay people to be killed or trans people to be killed. I don't want anybody to get killed. And if somebody goes out and they target gay people or trans people or black people or people with mega hats, which I don't believe in, or people that are Muslim, they're fucking pieces of shit and they should go to jail. But you can well up all that hate and you can project it against your fellow Americans and hate them and you can blank, blame Cruz and then now it's Pence and then it'll be the next conservative who's a Christian and you can project that hate and you can try to get retribution against all those people. It'll never fill the void that's in you. It'll never make up for whatever wrongs you perceive have been done against you. You even said it took you a long time to come out because you didn't want to be judged. You didn't want to be judged. But as a person that was born and raised in Oregon and was around gay people and had gay friends and was in the army with gay people that couldn't say they were gay, I, nobody gives a fuck. Nobody cares you're gay. But we do care when you believe you should get special treatment because you're gay. No. I don't go to a store and say, oh, those two girls are holding hands. Gross. I don't give a fuck. I don't know if somebody's transgender when I walk down the street. I probably do what they do to me. What an ugly lady. And they go, what a fat sloth looking dude. That's probably what they do. And I don't care. I've said it a trillion fucking times. I do not have to embrace your lifestyle and you don't have to embrace mine. That's freedom. That's America. You don't have to be validated by me. But we spend all our time about live your truth. Well, the truth is, is you don't feel good about yourself for whatever reason, and I can't fix that. I can't fix it. I can't make you feel better about yourself. And even if 
all of America in unison held hands and said, Gay is beautiful, trans and the 95 pronouns are the way of the future. You would still go after Christians because you're a fucking bigot. And all your perceived perceptions and feelings about you, you now have become what you say is the horrible thing about America. Hate. Bigotry. You are a bigot. There is not a fucking religion on the planet that says gay is normal and trans even makes sense. Not a one. But because you don't believe in God, you hate everybody else. I never had a problem with anything my daughter's ever said. I, I Yeah, I got pissed when she disowned me because Trump won and it was my fucking fault because I voted against Hillary. But it does bother me with her hate for Christians. As outspoken some of the gay mafia and atheist mafia and the trans mafia, now this climate change sunrise movement are, your porch is pretty cluttered to be talking about the neighbor's porch being a Christian. Yes, there were horrible Christians. There was a time my own brother drove me fucking crazy because he was born again and everything was, I was going to fucking hell and everything was, oh, okay, it's okay, I can go kill people in the army and still be a religious person. No, no, I couldn't. That's why I walked away from religion for a while and I came back. And I have my own criticism about the church. That's why I don't go to it. But I believe there's a God. You don't have to. I don't walk up to you and say, God loves you. Be born again. Here's a Bible. No. But you expect it to be okay for people to walk around and go, I'm gay. You must embrace it. No, I don't. It's absurd to me as saying you have to root for the Green Bay Packers and eat brisket. I say that saying over and over. I say it on the internet. I know it's repetitive, but that's absurd. It's absurd to begin with to believe anybody has to embrace what you feel, think, espouse. That is an absurd concept. And saying that in America for years it was wrong and they were persecuted, that's not now. Now everybody's out. Everybody's shoving it in people's faces and saying embrace it. I think you've made up for those years. But my final point from what I got from all of these gay shows, literally 10 hours of TV, Well, more than that, because I think it was an hour and a half. So it's 11 and a half fucking hours of TV. You're living a lifestyle that you yourself don't feel good about because you just seem weird. Everybody's looking at me. I don't do anything. I don't go out in public because I don't want to be judged. Nobody's judging. You went through the deep south, couldn't find a single person judging. You brought some... um, Confederate flag people in to try to make a point about what? What are you trying to make a point about? Because the point I got from it, people live their lives different than you and you don't like that. Which makes you the problem. I live in the South because it's the only place left in the country where people live their lives and people don't get in their business. I am within driving distance to over 25 churches. 
Nobody's coming to me going, you're a sinner, you're going to hell if you don't come to our church. Nobody. Yeah, I got the crazy Mormons occasionally and the Latter-day Saints. And I go, hey, thanks, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go, have a nice day. But you have that everywhere. I don't have black Israelites on a street corner calling everybody a fucking peckerwood and a race, being racist and shit and faggots and all that shit, they say. I don't have that. But you have that where you live. And maybe that's your problem. One of the most interesting stats that closes in this rant was they said the highest per capita of gays in America live in the South. Why do you think that is, Ellen Page? Because the very Christian people that you say are the problem with America must make them feel comfortable because they live here. Or else they wouldn't live here. And why is it that only urban centers have all the crime against transgenders, supposedly? Because that's a hate crime thing. Hate crime, the other point I forgot to make, and, and it's really true if you think about it. Anything done towards a black person is hate now. That's what hate crimes do. Anything done towards a gay person is a hate crime. Anything done against transgender persons is a hate crime. That's why people aren't for the hate crimes. It's absurd. If I get in a fight with a gay guy, I'm automatically going to get double jeopardy because he's gay and I didn't say anything. I just fought back. But that's how we prosecute it because it's about that retribution. But it's urban centers. Not the rural centers. Not in the deep south where Christians don't give a fuck if you're gay. They're just never gonna fucking embrace your lifestyle. They're just not gonna. And they don't have to. So I really believe this mafia needs to look at themselves. Over the course of the last 10 years, you are the bigots. You are persecuting Christians. You're generalizing all of those people. Every conservative. You're going on the air and doing rants and uh, six degrees of separation from everybody to crimes. But you don't do the same thing when a guy goes and shoots up a baseball game. And you just look fucking foolish. So I thought it was a good This Is America. It sums it up. She was shaking and crying because she just fucking hates other Americans because they won't be her. And that sums up almost every subject we talk about. You're a piece of shit if you don't want to live birth abortions. You're a piece of shit if you don't want to live in a cave and save the planet. You're a piece of shit because you're not like AOC. Don't reproduce. I mean, when did you think a political party in our country would be for live birth abortions and nobody reproduce anymore? Stop reproducing! It's not moral! Really? Why is it always the left that does that? You'd think it'd be the Christian conservatives. Oh, the end is nigh. It's the left. It's fucking absurd. So the New York Times can spin as much as you want. The extremists are in the cult religion of progressivism. And the New Testament of climate change 
and gender crazy. This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at at Fop Podcast and our Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. Next podcast will probably be Monday. I'm not going to do a Sunday this weekend. Um, so we're going to go for March. Um, and I'm going to do a military segment on that because March 2nd is the 17th anniversary of Operation Anaconda. So I'll probably play a little soundbite from that show I did oh so long ago. Could have winter storms coming in my area, so be safe out there. Keep your eye on the weather because it's still kind of crazy. This is the time of year that crazy stuff happens. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs And tune in Monday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. One last plug. I ask you all this Friday, um, which is what? The first. To find on your dial John Gibson. He's the reason that I started this podcast. I've listened to him since 2004. Um, It will be his last broadcast show. He is hanging up the mic after 30 years of punditry. And he's a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous um, podcaster or radio host. Sorry. Um, He's talking about doing some podcasts. Uh, I'm a premium member, so I guess we're going to get something every once in a while. But um, if you can tune in and listen, great guy. Should be a rewarding show. Maybe they'll play some of the old-time funny stuff. So anyway, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.